Martha in the Mirror by Justin Richards. Read by Freema Adjaman. The castle was haunted by a young girl. She was called Janna, and she wasn't a ghost. Just a girl left to fend for herself. A shadow glimpsed in the kitchens, a flicker of movement in a corridor, a shape watching from an alcove, like a ghost. And Janna, in her turn, was also haunted by her dead sister. It started the day the man looked in the mirror. Janna wondered what was in the crate. She watched Bill and Bot carry it to the great hall. Janna crept after them, hiding in her favourite spot under a long side table. The crate contained a mirror, which was taller than Bill and wider than Bot. They struggled to fix it to the wall. Bill and Bot stood in front of the mirror and looked at themselves. Nice workmanship, Bill, Bot said. You're not wrong, Bot, Bill agreed. You'd think it was really old. The mirror looked old to Janna. The real one would be, Bot was saying. Well, obviously, Bill replied, as he turned with a whir of his mechanism and marched from the great hall. Janna was about to crawl out from under the table, but someone else came into the hall, and she eased back to be sure she was out of sight. The man stood in front of the mirror. He stared into it, nodding as if pleased. His reflection nodded back, smiling. From where she was lying, Janna could see that his expression, his real expression, was slowly changing from a smile to a frown. The man stood with his hands behind his back and stared at himself. His reflection stared back. The man tilted his head slightly and so did the reflection. They regarded each other through a thin barrier of glass. Then the man raised a hand, frowning, curious, reaching out towards the mirrored surface. The reflection raised his hand too. Only the man in the mirror was smiling, and he was holding a gun. The sound of the shot echoed round the hall. Janna clasped her hand over her mouth and pulled back into the darkness beneath the table. The glass bullet shattered its way into the man's heart. His body fell to the floor, and above and behind, Janna could see the man in the mirror watching and smiling as he stepped through and into the room. Chapter One Her dead sister was following her. Janna could hear her. She caught glimpses of her shadow on the wall. Nowhere was safe. Her sister knew all the places, all the hidey-holes and all the darkest shadows. The lights flickered impossibly as a breeze ruffled Janna's hair. How could there be a breeze here, deep under the castle? An unholy noise echoed off the stonework, growing and fading with the breeze as the noise grew. Stop it! Janna yelled into the fury. And it did stop. The wind died. The noise was gone. In its place, a large blue box stood solid and confident in an alcove. 
Jana watched as a door in the front of the box opened, and a man stepped out. He was tall and thin, with spiky hair and eyes that were wide with interest and amusement. Hello, the man said cheerfully. What's your name then? But Jana didn't wait. She turned and ran. She could hear her sister's ghost running after her. It doesn't look like the most brilliant theme park in this part of the cosmos, Martha said. It looks like a damp, gloomy tunnel. Oh, it's not damp, the doctor said. Well, not really, not damp, damp. He peered into the semi-darkness. So where are we really? In a smelly, gloomy, not really damp, damp tunnel, I should think. Pity that girl ran off. What girl? The doctor wasn't listening. He pulled the TARDIS door closed, then marched off down the passageway. Maybe we're a bit early, he said. Early as in they're still having breakfast? Martha wondered. Or early as in the place is still a frontier fort under almost constant siege from either Anthium or Zerugma, and they haven't actually sorted out the peace treaty and built it yet. The doctor paused to inspect one of the torches flickering on the wall. You know, this isn't real. Look at it all, that's clever. Before Martha could stop him, he'd stuck his hand into the flames. It's all right, he said, seeing her expression. They must have a fusion generator somewhere. It means we can't be far off. War's probably been over for years. Probably. He was off again. Well, possibly, maybe. We need to find someone to ask, really. Maybe. Martha said slowly. We could ask a sinister cloaked figure who looks like he's enrolled as chief frightener at the Monastery of Doom. The monk was standing several metres further along the passageway. His head was slightly bowed, so only darkness was visible under the hood of his black cloak. As the doctor turned, the monk lifted one hand, a pale, gnarled claw, and silently beckoned. Guided tour, you see? The doctor was off after the monk. Come on, Martha! Historical reenactment. Yeah, but reenacting what? The Black Death? What did you expect? The doctor said. The Spanish Inquisition. The monk led the doctor and Martha into a wider, better lit corridor. They passed several other people another monk, a soldier in armour that was clearly plastic, as if part of a child's dressing up set, and a crocodile man. Martha could see that the teeth were obviously painted on the mask. The claws on the feet bent like rubber. The reptilian skin was drawn onto the costume. Up close, it all looked a bit cheap. What is this? Fancy dress weekend? Martha hissed at the doctor. That was a Zerugian, the doctor said, apparently impressed. It was a costume. It was a man dressed up. The monk was beckoning impatiently again. Martha reached out and grabbed his hand. It came off. A glove. Embarrassed now, Martha held it out for the monk to take back. Under the hood, in the better light, Martha could see a young man staring back at her in surprise. Who are you? Martha demanded. The man put his finger to his lips as he pulled his glove back on. Silent order, the doctor said. I don't mean he belongs to a silent order of monks. I meant he's been ordered to be silent. But why? Been to Disneyland, the doctor asked. What's Disneyland got to do with it? 
Does Mickey Mouse speak? Sort of squeaks. The doctor followed the monk into a huge and impressive room. Now this is more like it, he said to the monk. Mickey Monk, what a nasty thought, he murmured as the monk bowed and left. The room was enormous, like the banqueting hall of a medieval castle. A long table ran down the middle of the room with other smaller tables off to each side. There were several figures in alcoves, knights in advanced armour. The far end of the great room was dominated by an ornate mirror that reached up from just above the floor to well above Martha's head. Where are we exactly? Martha asked. In Extremis. Think I got the timing slightly wrong, but this is definitely Castle Extremis. In the years before the peace treaty, it was all a bit cheap and cheerful. Well, cheap and dreadful, actually. There was a man standing in the doorway. He was of slight build and wearing a plain dark suit. Can I help you? He asked in a rich, deep voice. Oh, I do hope so, the doctor said. I'm sorry to turn up unannounced. You are here for the... The man's voice trailed off. The thing, yes. Got my invite complete with plus one on it and everything. The doctor was brandishing his wallet with the psychic paper. How come no one else will talk to us? Martha asked as the man examined the paper. Oh, a... Uh, a stupid rule. That poor lad Gonfer had to write a note to me saying you were here. The guides are not permitted to speak while on duty. Mickey Mouse, the doctor said. The doctor and Miss Mouse, the man replied, nodding with interest. Welcome to Castle Extremis. It is an honour to have observers from the Galactic Alliance attend the treaty talks. It's Martha, actually, Martha explained. My apologies, Miss Martha Mouse. But it is so unusual for GA observers to declare themselves, the man went on. In the normal run of things, they remain anonymous, only intervening to use their powers of jurisdiction and release of weapons in extreme emergencies. Well, the doctor said, unusual circumstances and all that, and you are... The man actually took a step backwards in surprise. I am High Minister Defron. The doctor grinned. Course you are, he said. We knew that. Didn't we know that, Martha Mouse? Yeah, like we know each other's names, Martha said. Isn't that right, Dr Donald Duck? The High Minister told them he was taking them to the negotiating chamber. The press is not invited until we're ready for the final signing ceremony, Defron said. This isn't a time for self-congratulation or for sound bites. Course not. Though I confess I feel the hand of history on my shoulder. So whose idea was it to have the signing ceremony here at Castle Extremis? The doctor asked. It seemed the obvious place, Defron said. Anthem and Zarugma are still technically at war. They passed an open door. Through it, Martha could see a room in the middle of being renovated. Be good when it's finished, she said. Defron shook his head. I despair of those two maintenance robots sometimes, he said heavily. The Galactic Alliance planned to turn the place into some sort of historical theme park after the treaty. He shook his head sadly. The Galactic Alliance is a neutral body, the doctor said quietly to Martha. They have control of the castle now. Why? she whispered back. The castle is at the head of the Sarandon Passage. Anthea on one side, Zarugma the other. 
If either wants to rule, it has to control castle extremists. The treaty is to formalise the peace and officially hand over extremists to the GA. There were sentries outside the double doors at the end of the passage. Defron ignored them and strode into the room. I am pleased to announce that the GA observation team has arrived, he said. Hi, the doctor said amiably. Martha didn't say anything because she was too busy looking at the people sitting around the conference table. Defron made his way to a seat. There were two spare seats at one end and Martha followed the doctor as he headed for one of them. So, the doctor said, I'm the doctor and this is Martha. There were four other people, an elderly lady, a middle-aged man and two crocodiles. A crocodile turned to look at Martha. One reptilian eye was covered by a black patch. The ends of a livid scar emerged from the eye patch. A string of pale saliva dripped from its jaws as sharp white teeth snapped together. Chapter 2 The old lady spoke first. I am Lady Casalban, personal representative of the President of Anthium. She had the quiet confidence of a woman secure in her authority. She nodded to one of the crocodiles. It was not the one with the eye patch. This crocodile man looked older. His eyes were cloudy and some of his scales were broken and ragged. His voice started as a low rasp. When he finally spoke, his voice was surprisingly cultured. First secretary checks of the Zerugian delegation. Like Lady Kasauban, I trust that we shall come to a sensible agreement and establish a lasting peace between our two great provinces. Chex turned his jutting face towards the other Zerugian. I'm General Orlo. There was a brutal edge to this Zerugian's voice. I am here to assist First Secretary Chex and to advise. That is all. Defron cleared his throat politely. General Orlo, as well as being supreme commander of the Zerugian forces and a veteran of the Tenth Conflict, is also a noted historian. Good for you, the doctor declared, and clapped his hands several times. When no one else joined in, he shrugged. Ignore me, that's fine. Lady Casalbon cleared her throat. General Orlo has been good enough to furnish castle extremists with... A quite splendid gift. Defron said, One of the great treasures of the castle was the legendary mortal mirror. General Orlo has donated the most exquisite copy, which you probably saw in the Great Hall. Martha remembered the mirror. Yeah, good stuff. Impressive. The doctor sniffed. What happened to the original? The man beside Lady Casalban answered, his voice was heavy with sarcasm. It was destroyed in the third Zerugian occupation, so I suppose it's only fair they provide a replacement. Orlo glared at the man. There are other legends, other stories. Some say that after the imprisonment, Governor Pennard had the mirror smashed to pieces. I'm sure you're right, the man said. Perhaps we should get Professor Thoradin back in to give us his opinion. Professor Milan Thoradin, the doctor said. Defron nodded. Noted expert on the conflicts. You know him? The doctor shook his head. Never heard of him. Oh, lucky guess. The man with the flint-hard eyes laughed. 
And I didn't catch your name, the doctor said to him. Stellman. Stellman is my aide and adviser, Lady Kasaubin said. Well, the doctor said, I can see you all have lots to talk about, so if it's no problem, we'll leave you to it and pop back and see how you're doing later. Gonfa is preparing accommodation for you, Defron said. I'll signal him to show you around. Is he the silent monk? Martha wondered. Correct, Defron confirmed. Gonna be some tour, Martha said. It was a rather strange tour, their guide not saying a word and responding to their questions with just a nod or shake of the head. Martha couldn't see his face at all. For the most part, it was like wandering round a well-preserved but rather boring castle. Until they went outside. Oh, my... Martha's voice faded. I didn't... You never said... I mean... She turned to the doctor. We're in space! Well, yes, I told you. Guarding the Sarandon Passage. Uh, those of us who didn't take galactic geography and didn't realise this is all some sort of special space stone might have thought that was just like a valley or mountain pass or something. Some sort of warning that we're floating through space might have helped. Above the battlements of the castle, a red and orange nebula spun slowly and majestically. Stars burned and asteroids hung impossibly close. Force field, she said quietly. Keeping the air in. Semi-permeable bubble, the doctor said. So we're not going to suffocate or spin off into space then? Doubt it. Martha smiled. Just checking. The doctor put his arm round Martha's shoulder and pointed at a glowing blue star. That's Plastiochron. Beyond it, that pale shimmer you can just see, is the Colondian Rift. It was a shame to go back indoors. Martha glanced back the way they had come, treating herself to one last look. A shadow moved. It darted suddenly to one of the huge towers rising up above them. Just a shadow. A trick of the light. Nothing. But, just for a moment, Martha had been sure it was a little girl. Castle Extremist was originally built as a monastery by the mystic mortal monks of Moridanard, the doctor said. Before either Anthium or Zerugma realised the other was there and started fighting over the place. By the time he finished, the doctor was having to shout to be heard over the sound of a drill coming from the other side of an unfinished archway. He led the way through, Martha close behind. The room was stripped back to bare stone much of it crumbling away. Two workmen were just finishing cutting along the edges of an old piece of stone and were lifting it away. Two robot workmen. One was tall and thin, with ball and socket joints oozing oil. It had metal prongs for hands that were easing under the stone like a forklift. The other robot was shorter and broad. It looked like it had been bolted together out of plates of rusty metal. So I said to him the tall, thin robot was saying in a high-pitched nasal voice. I said, do you expect us to work for nothing? Very good, yes, the shorter robot rumbled. Nice one, Bill. Thank you, bot. They paused as they saw the doctor and Martha watching them.
We're doing it all right, the tall, thin robot Bill said quickly. We're doing it now. Straight away, Bot agreed. Oh, right, the doctor said. Good. Isn't that good, Martha? It's great, she agreed. Only we didn't want anything doing, thanks. Bill looked at Bot and Bot looked at Bill. That's a first, Bot said. Someone who doesn't want anything doing. Unique, Bill agreed. Usually it's mend this or polish that. Stick this behind there, take down that picture, put up this mirror. Mirror? the doctor asked. Might be a mirror, Bot said. I was being hypothetical. Did you put up the mortal mirror? Martha asked. Bill laughed a thin, reedy laugh. Yes, well, actually, we did put it up. That was only a hundred years ago. We've been maintenance and renovation since before the monks left. I think Martha meant the replica mirror, actually, the doctor said. That just arrived with General Orlo. Oh, that, yeah, Bot said. The doctor walked over to inspect the new stonework. This is very good. Excellent workmanship. Only the very best, Bot said proudly. Quality takes time, though, Bill said. Not a lot of people appreciate that. Oh, I do, the doctor told them. So does Martha. Oh, and Gonther there, too. Martha turned and saw that the monk was standing close behind her. Must be interesting, the doctor was saying. You do all the work, everything. Course we do. We're programmed in masonry, stone masonry, metal work, carpentry, Bill said proudly. Glazing, gardening, fixing, smithing and French polishing, Bot went on. Isn't it a bit boring, Martha wondered. I mean, if you just keep repairing the same things. Might be, if we'd built the place. Bill conceded. But we weren't here then. So there's some bits that keep needing doing. I guess there are some surprises then, the doctor said. In a lot of these old places, the original builders and stonemasons left their own personal mark. Like carved their initials, Martha said. The doctor nodded. Or even left things behind. You remove a panel or lift out a stone. He ran his hands over the old stone next to the gap where the robots had just been working. This one's loose, you see. And then suddenly, when you're least expecting it, you find... He pulled the stone away. Well, in this case, you don't find anything, of course, he said. But, you know, sometimes. The doctor frowned and peered into the hole where the stone had been. Martha ran to look. What is it? Or are you mucking about? The doctor reached into the hole and took something out. It was old and dusty, a package wrapped in old cloth. That was lucky, the doctor said. I mean, what are the chances of just taking out stone at random like that and finding? He dropped the cloth to the floor. This! It was rectangular, smooth and dark, like translucent coloured plastic. Chances are pretty high if you put it there in the first place, Bot said. Did you? Martha asked. Not me, Bot said. Nor me, Bill added. Impressed the lady, though. It's been there a long time, the doctor said. The top lifted, hinged along one side. How long ago was that stone put there, would you say? I'd say a hundred years, three months and six days, Bill told them. 
It's not plastic, the doctor said. He tentatively touched it with the tip of his tongue. Glass. Martha realised. It's a book. A book with glass pages. The doctor held it up to the light. Not written in a language I understand. The doctor closed the book and held it out to the monk. Any ideas, Gonfer? The monk's hand glinted strangely as it whipped out to grab the book. Gonfer! Martha reached for the hood of his cloak. The monk turned quickly and ran from the room. The doctor ran after him, Martha close behind. She reached the arched doorway in time to see the monk disappearing into the castle courtyard. But the doctor was helping a young man to his feet. He was rubbing the back of his head and he appeared to be dressed only in long underwear. What, what happened? The man said. Doctor? The doctor looked at Martha. You know who he is, Martha said to the man. Of course I do, Martha. I'm your guide, Gonfer, remember? Who hit me? And why did they take my costume? Chapter 3 The doctor ran back out into the courtyard. The four towers at the corners of the castle were stark silhouettes against the almost black sky. There was no sign of the pretend monk. Or rather, he thought, the fake pretend monk. A paved pathway led down into ornate gardens, rolling lawns, a formal rose garden and what might have been a maze. But no sign of a monk. He went back into the castle, a voice said from the shadows. That way. The girl stepped out of the shadows and pointed. The same little girl the doctor had seen when he came out of the TARDIS. She looked about twelve years old, with straggly blonde hair and a face smudged with dirt. I'm the doctor, the doctor said. You've been following us, haven't you? Why's that? The girl shrugged. You're new. <laughs> You're funny. The doctor grinned. Yeah, both those things. So what's your name? Today I'm called Janna. Do you have another name on other days? The girl looked away. When she looked back, her smile had gone. Bye she said. Then she ran through the gateway and down into the garden. Bye, Janna, the doctor called after her. The girl turned and waved before running on into the distance. It seemed that Gonfer was allowed to talk if he wasn't actually wearing his monk's costume. Now he was leading the doctor and Martha through the castle to the servants' quarters. So, the doctor said, why do you suppose someone would want to nick your costume? Disguise, Martha suggested. Good thought. The doctor weighed the glass book in his hands. He was interested in this, but he couldn't have known we were about to find it. They arrived at Gonfer's room and he went in to find some clothes. Someone watching us, you think? Martha asked while they were alone. You saw a little girl when we arrived. The doctor nodded. Her name's Janna. Gonfer came out in time to hear this. Martha was relieved to see he'd put on loose trousers and collarless shirt and not another silent monk outfit. You met Janna? Gonfer asked. Best mates, me and Janna, the doctor told him. I, I could do with a lie down, Gonfer said. 
I'll take you back to the negotiating chamber. Oh, I was hoping for a tour of the gardens, the doctor said with exaggerated disappointment. Gonfa shook his head. It's a minefield out there. The doctor nodded sympathetically. All those different types of plants, I remember, finding your way through the maze, not losing anyone in the duck pond. Yes, I, I can see that. No, really, Gonfa said. It's a minefield, with anti-personnel mines left over from the war. That's how Janna's sister... He broke off. The doctor and Martha looked at each other. Tell us about Janna, the doctor said quietly, and tell us what happened to her sister. They stood on the battlements overlooking the formal gardens laid out below. Martha found it hard to believe that the beauty and elegance she was looking at was tainted by hidden death traps. Beyond the lawn she could see a lake, and there were formal gardens too. In the distance, beyond the lake and the lawns, the world just stopped. It was as if some cosmic giant had bitten the end off the world, leaving just a ragged edge hanging impossibly in space. They were born here, Gonfa said. Janna and her twin sister, Tilda. No one could tell them apart, at least not by looking at them. By temperament, the doctor wondered. Oh, yes, one of them, Janna, was happy and bright and clever and helpful. Tilda was different. They were opposites. Her sister was surly and stubborn. She'd do nothing to help, just run off. She teased and insulted and bullied. Gonfa turned away, his eyes moist. Did she insult you? Martha asked quietly. Gonfa wiped his eyes. She was only, what, about ten or eleven? But she could be so nasty. She enjoyed upsetting people. Where did they come from, these girls? Oh, now that's a good question, the doctor said. Excellent question, that. They were always here, said Gonfa. Born here. Their mother worked in the castle. She died soon after the twins were born. Father was a guard with the Anthium Heavy Infantry. He was killed at Modolphin in the reactor accident. And the girls stayed here, Janna and Tilda, Martha said. I think officially they were left in the care of the adjutant of Extremis, but he couldn't care less about them, or anything else come to that. And what, the doctor asked quietly, happened to Tilda? Gontfa leaned back against the wall. She'd annoy the guards, the kitchen staff, anyone... They'd chase her off and she'd run away laughing, into the garden. She knew no one would dare to follow her there. Martha felt suddenly cold. You said the garden was a minefield. Not all of it. Gonfa pointed to the long swathes of beautifully cut grass. The girls knew the safe ways through the garden. Still do, the doctor said. Janna ran off into the garden after I spoke to her, he pointed. Gontfer nodded. Most of the mines have been cleared. The paths are all clear now. But it was very different a year ago. He paused, biting his lower lip before going on with his story. Tilda upset one of the kitchen boys. 
He was shouting and screaming at her. I'll never forget it. She ran away into the garden. Gonfer turned, unable to look down into the gardens as he spoke. She must have strayed from the safe path across the lawn. The explosion was heard right through the castle. So Janna's on her own, poor thing, the doctor said quietly. Oh no, Gonfer told him. She still has Tilda with her. It's like they're fused together. You never know which of the twins you're with. She might be quiet and polite and helpful or raging and angry and insulting. It's like her dead sister is somehow inside her body, with her. The doctor tapped his fingers on the top of the wall. Result of the trauma. Twins can be bound very tightly together. Lady Casalburn wrinkled her nose and raised her eyebrows, examining her reflection in the looking-glass. In the reflection of the great hall, she could see the food prepared for lunch. She turned. Diplomacy might be a dreadful bore, but at least one was well fed. Behind her, Lady Casalburn's reflection had not turned. Its expression had changed from a sad smile to a cruel sneer. It reached out a wrinkled hand, pushed it through the mirror. The glass rippled round the fingers as the reflection reached out of the looking-glass. The clawed fingers slowly edged towards Lady Casalburn's shoulder. Lady Casalburn! The shout came from outside the great hall. Lady Casalburn sighed and walked quickly towards the door. I'm here, Stelman, she replied and the old lady in the mirror cursed silently as she stepped away from the reflection and back into the shadows of the world behind the mirror. Chapter 4 Gonfer led the doctor and Martha back to the great hall for lunch. See you later, Martha said. The slight figure of Defron immediately hurried over to them. I'd avoid the Zerugian water truffles, he said in a low voice. They're only here because we know that General Orlo likes them. Not good, Martha said. Defron shook his head. They're the things that look like fetid pondweed. Definitely trying that, the doctor decided, grabbing a plate. Please tell me he's not serious, Defron said to Martha. Not usually, she assured him. The doctor was fishing what did indeed look and smell like fetid pondweed from a large bowl with a pair of tongs. I'm hoping it's like spinach, he said. Defron had his hand over his mouth. Chex and Orlo stood watching with interest. The doctor lifted a long strand of gooey green weed and dangled it high above his mouth. Well, here goes, he hesitated. Although, now I come to think about it, I don't really like spinach, he sighed. Oh well, and dropped the green stuff into his mouth. Almost at once he doubled up. Oh, he managed to say through a mouthful of weed. Oh, cripes! He straightened up and shook his head violently, coughing. Are you all right? Martha wasn't sure if he was choking. Oh, but that is good, the doctor announced. Really good. You should try it, Martha. What's that sort of spicy aftertaste? He started to ladle more of the mushy green weed onto his plate. Can I get you some, Martha? 
I think I'll pass, thanks. Your loss, the doctor said indistinctly through another mouthful. Martha was helping herself to a very safe-looking bread roll when Stellman came up to her. So how are things at the GA? Oh, you know, Martha said, same as ever. That bad, Stellman asked, apparently in all seriousness. On the other side of the table, General Orlo had engaged the doctor in animated discussion about the merits of the pondweed truffle stuff. She was better off talking to Stellman, she decided. It's an acquired taste, a voice said. Martha turned to find that First Secretary Chex had joined them. Don't think I'll be acquiring it, she told him. Sorry. The huge creature towered over Martha. There really is no obligation, he said kindly. I think your friend is being polite. You can take diplomacy too far, Stellman said. Chek's head bobbed up and down and he made a rhythmic growling sound that Martha took to be laughter. Another man had come into the room. He was tall and thin with a slight stoop. He walked carefully and slowly round the edge of the room. Looks like he's tried the water truffles, Martha said. Professor Thoradin always looks like that, Stellman told her. You think the peace process will work? the doctor asked. Now he'd munched his way through some of the most revoltingly disgusting vegetation he'd ever tasted, he reckoned he was entitled to cut to the nitty-gritty. The general's jaw moved slowly back and forth as he considered. Peace is not a natural state, Orlo said. Better surely to be at war and know where the threat is coming from. A truce, however uneasy, is sometimes better than a surrender. You see this is a surrender. Both sides must surrender something. That is what negotiation is about. Yes, the doctor said, but isn't it just a teensy-weensy bit about trust and friendship and making the universe a better place to live in? Orlo's deep red eye regarded the doctor closely for a moment. Then he turned and pointed towards the enormous mirror. I have already shown I am willing to make sacrifices. That mirror is a replica of the original mortal mirror that hung there. And very impressive it is too. My great-grandfather led the raiding party that took extremists and destroyed the original mirror. He cast the shattered pieces into space so it could never be reassembled. Yet someone built a replica. His son had it made as a reminder, lest we forget that out of war must come something positive. Out of war must come power territory, wealth. Peace? the doctor suggested. Orlo turned back to him. So it would seem. His eye blinked as he looked past the doctor. I see that Professor Thoradin has deigned to grace us with his presence. Why are clever men so often dull, doctor? Are you wise enough to tell me that? Oh, I doubt it the doctor said, running to catch the professor before he reached the door. Professor Thoradin, isn't it? I read your paper on the wandering scholars. Terrific stuff. Just terrific. Mind you, completely wrong about the part played by Cranthus. I mean, what were you thinking of? What was that all about, eh? Thoradin's expression did not change. Is there some point to this? I wanted to ask you about this. 
the doctor took out the glass book he found behind the stone, showing it to Thoradin. Where did you get that? the professor asked, his voice barely more than a whisper. Interesting, isn't it? I was wondering if you could tell me anything about it. Thoradin glared at the doctor, then lifted the book carefully from him. He examined it closed. There is a, a system to this. It is writing, but not a language I know. The doctor grinned. Well, thanks for your valuable time. Don't let me keep you. You won't, Thoradin assured him. But if you find out more, I would be interested. The doctor walked slowly round the long table and back to Orlo. You were right, he said. Not convinced about the clever, but he's certainly dull. Dull as ditch water. Talking of which, is there any more of that truffle stuff left? First Secretary Chex was about to leave the Zerugians' quarters when he heard a knock at the door. He was surprised to see the man standing outside. I was looking for General Orlo, the man said. The General has already gone to the negotiating chamber. Anything you can tell Orlo, you can tell me. Then you know of the General's plan. Plan? The scales round Chek's eyes wrinkled. The mirror. There is a problem. Everything is so fragile. The man hesitated, seeing Chek's expression. You don't know at all, do you? He turned to go. Chek's caught the man's shoulder and pulled him back. Tell me, he insisted. The man pulled himself free. Get off me! The man thrust the Zerugian away from him, but Chex held on to the man's arm. He dug his claws into the sleeve, but the material did not yield. Then they were falling as the man pushed again, hard. Chex slipped backwards. The man's arm tore free of his grasp and smashed into the side table. Smashed. The arm smashed. The man raised his shattered arm in disbelief. What have you done? he screamed. His hand lay splintered and broken on the floor, close to where Chex had fallen. The man's arm ended at the jagged wrist. Chex stared at the hand lying on the floor, stared at the broken wrist, the chipped fingers, the way it caught the light. Then the man stabbed downwards with his broken arm. The sharp, jagged end ripped through the First Secretary's tunic and into his cold flesh. They heard the cry in the negotiating chamber. Stellman and the doctor recovered at the same instant, running for the door. Martha caught up with them as they stood in the open doorway to the Zerugians' quarters. Job for you, Martha, the doctor said quietly. She knelt by the body. She had to do what she could. There was so much blood, cold blood. I'm sorry, Martha said, her voice as numb and flat and cold as she felt inside. We're too late. Something caught the light, something sticking out of the wound. She pulled it out, grasping it with her handkerchief, careful not to cut herself. It's glass, the doctor said. Martha nodded. But why stab him with glass? The weapon detectors, Stellman said quietly. Do not scan for glass.
no one said anything. They were all listening to the sound of rapid footsteps, the sound of a child running quickly away from the room. Chapter 5 Keep an eye on things, the doctor whispered to Martha, straightening up and running from the room. Well, really, Defron complained as the doctor nudged him aside. Martha said, look, we can't just leave him here. Indeed we can't, Orlo said. I will need to prepare the Zerugian response to this outrage. He turned slowly to glare at Lady Casalburn. You surely cannot believe, Defron started, but Orlo cut him off. First Secretary Checks refused to give way on certain key issues. Lady Casalburn was frustrated. Martha rolled her eyes. She's an old lady. I really don't see her taking on a seven-foot-tall crocodile in single combat, do you? I don't think General Orlo meant Lady Casalburn, Stelman said calmly. He suspects that I kill Checks. And why would you do that? Because Chex was Zerugian and I am an Anthium. Because it might force a compromise. Because I am the only one here strong enough. Stelman shrugged. And because, by trade, I am an assassin. The doctor skidded to a halt, straining to hear the girl's footsteps. But there was nothing. Nothing except a rasping electronic voice that said... Up a bit your end, bot. If you say so, Bill. The two robots were fixing a picture to the wall of the corridor. The doctor stuffed his hands in his jacket pockets and wandered over to them. Want me to take a look and tell you when it's level? He asked. If you would, Bill said. Be a great help, Bot agreed. Do you believe in ghosts? The doctor asked as he held the picture steady. Depends what you mean by ghosts, Bot said. Do you? Bill asked the doctor. Oh, I'm not sure, the doctor admitted, but I don't think so. Not, you know, clanking chains and all that, but imprints of the past. Personal demons. Or a little girl called Janna. Ah, Bill nodded. Oh, Bot took a step backwards. Who must have come this way, the doctor said. As he finished speaking, the doctor was sure he heard a giggle from somewhere nearby. Look, the doctor went on, she's not in trouble, though there's certainly trouble to be had. I don't think she killed anyone. Who didn't she kill? Bot asked. Well, first secretary checks, for starters. At least, I hope it isn't for starters. But I'm afraid it might be. So I need to talk to her. Because she didn't kill Checks, Bot said slowly, as if wanting to be sure he had this right. She might have seen who did, the doctor said, and if that's the case, then Janna is in danger. What had looked like a solid section of the wall swung slowly open. A door. Beyond it, the doctor could see the little fair-haired girl standing there. Come in. Janna said, you'll have to sit on the floor. The guards have weapons, Martha said. They had guns slung over their backs as they carried the body away, leaving Martha and Stelman standing alone outside the locked door to the Zerugians' quarters.
So, you said there were weapons detectors. Why stab checks rather than take one of the guns and do it? Stelman looked at Martha, his expression giving away nothing of his thoughts. The guns won't fire unless they've been released for use, and of course that won't happen without official GA codes. Martha guessed she was probably expected to know all that. So it really could have been anyone. Stelman nodded. Yes, it really could. And you're an assassin? He smiled. During the war, I was responsible for all manner of covert operations, including assassination, if necessary. Martha shook her head. How could you do that? Stelman didn't react to her disgust. We were at war. It was my job. I was good at it. Martha sensed that there wasn't anything more to say. Excuse me, she said. I think I'll go and rest in my room. Stelman nodded and started slowly along the corridor. Martha set off in the other direction. She reached the end of the passage and turned out of sight. She counted slowly to ten before she turned again towards the Zerugians' quarters. She looked back in time to see Stelman step into the Zerugians' rooms and close the door quietly behind him. If he was busy searching the Zerugians' rooms, Martha thought, then Stelman's own quarters would be empty. Is this your home? the doctor asked. The whole castle is my home, silly. Janna was sitting cross-legged on the makeshift bed, holding one of the blankets in a bundle in front of her. You got anything to eat? This caught the doctor by surprise. Uh, sorry, I uh, don't think I have, actually. Can I ask you something? About the murder? Well, yes. I didn't do it. Janet assured him seriously. I know. I wondered if you knew who did, the doctor said, if you saw anything. She turned away. Didn't see nothing. The doctor sat next to her on the thin mattress. But you know something. Tell me, please, I can help. I don't need help, she said into the blanket. What are you afraid of, the doctor asked gently. Her eyes met his, just for an instant. The man in the mirror. Then she looked away. And my sister. Your sister is dead, the doctor told her. I'm sorry, I really am, but that's the way it is. She's gone. I know. Janna pulled the blanket up to her chin, gripping it tight. But why she come back? At the sound of the key in the lock... Martha froze. She had only just got inside Stelman's rooms. Hiding places were few and far between. Heavy drapes hung beside a large oval window. Martha hurried behind them. In the glass of the window, she could see the reflection of Stelman as he came into the room. Stelman put the key down on a table and walked through to the kitchen. While Stelman was out of sight, Martha crept from behind the curtain. She could be out of here before he came back. What are you doing? Martha froze again. Stelman was standing behind her. His hand was thrust into his jacket pocket. You were searching Czech's room? Martha accused. It's not me that needs an excuse just now, is it? Stelman pulled his hand from his pocket. Martha gasped, realising. All the time Stelman had been pointing a gun at her, a gun hidden in his pocket. A transparent gun. 
the mechanism and the bullets clearly visible within. The weapons detectors don't scan for glass, Martha realised. Someone was following him. The doctor could hear footsteps echoing his own. Just before he reached the hall, he ducked quickly into an alcove and let a cloaked figure walk quickly past. Then he stepped out into the light and called after it. You looking for me? The monk stopped and turned. The hood of the cloak hid the figure's face. The hood of the cloak moved slightly. The voice that came from within was old, rasping, barely more than a whisper. You have the book. Ah, oh, yes, the book. He took the glass book from his pocket. This, you mean? Read it, the monk hissed. I would if I could, but it's in some sort of code. Mirror writing. Of course, the doctor slapped his forehead with his free hand. How could I be so stupid? Mirror writing. He held the book open for the monk to see. Only it isn't, is it? I'd spot mirror writing a mile off. Think I don't know mirror writing? This is not mirror writing. The monk gave a low chuckle. <laughs> Nevertheless, you can read it in the mirror. The mirror? You mean the mirror? A particular mirror? He stared down at the open page of thin glass. The doctor looked up and saw that the monk had gone. Not much of a conversationalist, the doctor muttered. He was already hurrying to the great hall. The huge room was empty. The doctor walked towards the mirror, holding the glass book open in front of him. Oh, that is just so clever, he breathed. The meaningless symbols on the glass reflected back as words. I am the man in the mirror, the first line read, and this is my story. Chapter 6 Martha hoped she had surprise on her side as she dived for the door. Behind her she heard rapid footsteps. He was coming after her. Surprise was gone now and as soon as he got a clear shot... In a hurry? Bill asked as Martha sprinted towards the two robots still putting up pictures. He's got a gun! Martha gasped as she approached. Help me! Don't like guns, Bot said. Best to hide. Hide where? Can't you slow him down? She was level with Bot now. Bot's round head tilted slightly. And get shot? You're joking. I am not joking. Thanks for nothing, Martha ran on. Further down the corridor, Bill was holding open a section of wall. In here, he hissed in an electronic whisper. Martha ran inside and collapsed gasping on the floor. The wall closed behind her. Martha sat up and looked round, her breath still ragged and painful. On the other side of the small hidden room sat a pale, fair-haired girl. You're funny, Janna said. The book was a diary. It was just getting interesting when Defron arrived. You seen Martha, the doctor called. I thought she came this way. He closed the diary and put it back in his jacket pocket. No, Defron said. No, I haven't. He walked slowly towards the doctor. I sent a report to the Galactic Alliance, he said, telling them about the uh, incident. As we already have GA observers here, I suggested that further intervention was not necessary. 
And they told you that they'd never heard of us. The doctor shook his head sadly. They will admit to having two special agents on site, as well as Colonel Blench's peacekeeping force. But when I mentioned that I had already made contact with you, he opened his hands in a silent apology. We get this a lot, the doctor confided. I'm sure I can rely on your discretion, bloke like you. You understand how it works. Uh, Defron said. Quite. Still, the doctor went on. That's what happens when you get involved in covert operations. Covert? Defron's eyes widened in something close to panic. Well, clandestine anyway. Well, undercover. Well, you know, we have to be discreet. You can see that. Defron nodded. He was looking pale. How can I help, Doctor? Tell me something. Something that may be vitally important. Yes, the doctor leaned close. Who, he asked, was Manfred Grieg? Everyone knows the story, Defron said. As you know, Manfred Grieg was chief minister to Kendall Pennard, who was, of course, Lord High Advocate for Anthium and the governor of Castle Extremis. As we both well know, the doctor agreed quickly. And it was Grieg who advised Pennard on how to recapture extremists after the second occupation, a little over a hundred years ago. Quite brilliant. Oh, I like brilliant, the doctor agreed. Anyway, by way of thanks, Pennard gave Grieg a mirror. The mortal mirror. He pointed down the great hall to where the replica was hanging. But what he didn't know was that Pennard was jealous of Grieg's brilliance and was afraid his minister would supplant him. Defron considered for a moment before going on. Well, he was a politician. Yeah, right, the doctor laughed. And whoever heard of a politician who wasn't cunning and conniving and ambitious, eh? He caught Defron's eye and his grin faded. Sorry, joke. Go on. The mortal mirror was made for Pennard by the dark smiths of Coragula. The doctor whistled. They knew a thing or two. There was a great feast to honour Grieg, or so he thought. Well, that's always ominous, the so he thought bit, the doctor shivered. Gets me every time. So, big feast, mirror unveiled, huge surprise for Grieg, yes? Defron nodded. Pennard denounced him as a traitor. Soldiers rushed in and Grieg backed away. But there was nowhere for him to go. Except, the doctor said thoughtfully, into the mirror. So the legend says. The mortal mirror, when primed and adjusted in a certain way, reflects not this world, but rather a dark realm beyond our own. The doctor leaned forward and tapped the glass gently. So, so Grieg became the man in the mirror. And the mirror became just a mirror, said Defron. It's only a story and this replica is just an ordinary mirror. Just an ordinary mirror, the doctor murmured, that can translate Manfred Grieg's glass diary. Janna was watching her with curiosity as Martha pressed her ear to the stone. You hiding? Janna asked. Sorry, but there was this man with a gun. The guards have guns, Janna said dismissively. You can visit, like your friend. Martha turned in surprise. The doctor was here. A few minutes ago, 
He's funny too. You're telling me. So, how do you live? I mean, where do you get food and stuff? Jana looked at Martha like she was mad. Kitchens, of course. I used to work in the kitchen sometimes, she said. Then she looked away. With my sister. I heard about your sister, Martha said gently. I'm sorry. Sorry she's gone, Jana asked. Or sorry she's come back. Martha nodded slowly, remembering about the girl's sudden changes of mood. I think I met your sister in the courtyard. Jana sighed. That was me. She was rude, abrupt. Yeah, I can get like that. Sorry. Is that what happens? Now Martha did go and sit beside the girl. Do you feel like you're her? Jana edged away from Martha. Are you crazy? Her eyes widened. Do you think I'm crazy? No, of course not. She died in the gardens. Gonfer found her all... The girl shook her head, her eyes moist in the flickering light. All dead. He saw what happened. He used to get so angry. Jana shook her head. My sister was nice to him and I was horrid. Now he's nice to me and she's back. What do you mean, she's back? I mean, I see her watching from the shadows. I hear her footsteps behind me. I go to my secret places, like here, and I find she's been there already. Lives there. She looked at Martha, eyes wide and lips trembling. How can she live there when she's dead? But Martha did not have to answer because at that moment, the door swung open. Stellman was standing in the opening, one hand in his jacket pocket. Chapter 7 Jana was shaking with anger. Don't you dare shoot my friend! I wouldn't dream of it, Stellman told her. He held his hands open and empty for her to see. He did have a gun, Martha said warily. Yes, I did, but I wasn't going to shoot you. Oh, excuse me? You were just waving it about to look cool, were you? I want you both to go away now, Jana said. I don't like you, she told Stellman. You're rude and bossy! Stellman stepped back out into the corridor. Shall we? He gestured for Martha to join him. So why did you chase after me then, she demanded. The door in the corridor wall slammed shut behind her. You saw I had a gun. I don't want Orlo or Defron to know that. Or Lady Casalban, he added. She would disapprove. Martha realised they were heading back towards Stellman's room. She wasn't convinced by his excuses, but as if to convince her, he said, So can I rely on your discretion? For now, Martha decided. But what were you doing in Czech's rooms? Searching for some clue as to who killed Checks. So did you find anything? I did, but I don't really know what to make of it. Martha frowned. Why? What is it? I will show you. Jana knew her sister was following her. Go away! 
she shouted back down the corridor. You're dead! Go away and leave me alone! But when she turned and ran on, she could hear her sister's laughter echoing after her. Exquisite, Stellman said, or grotesque, I'm really not sure which. It was a hand. The wrist was a shattered broken mess and the end of a finger had snapped off. It's so realistic, Martha said. You think the murderer left it? Who can say? Stellman held the broken hand up and the chipped facets caught and reflected the light. But it is made of glass. There were various formalities that Defron insisted would have to be sorted out. Leaving them to it, the doctor headed off back to the Great Hall to continue reading the glass diary and encountered Lady Casalban. You haven't seen Martha, have you? the doctor asked. She's always wandering off. Your Mr Stellman got the same problem, has he? Not usually. I can only imagine he is detained by some matter he believes is important. You don't share his priorities, the doctor wondered. Oh, at my age, there's very little that is truly important. You're telling me, the doctor said, but Martha's important. Ah, yes, should have thought of that. He went on as two familiar figures turned into the corridor, Martha and Stellman, together. Doctor, Martha called, hurrying up to him. Stellman's found something. I think it may be. Important? Could be. What is it? He turned to Stellman. Show me, show me. What have you got? An unusual looking stone? Recipe for banana surprise? He was looking over Martha's shoulder as he spoke, watching Janna slip quietly into the great hall. Sorry, what were we talking about? Bananas, apparently, Martha said. Before that, Stellman held something out to them. This. The doctor took it. A glass hand. He weighed it in his palm. Where did you get it? Second-hand shop? Someone left it in Czech's room, Martha said. Really? Careless of them. He gave it back to Stellman. It's part of a puzzle and we need more of the pieces. He took out the glass diary and flipped carefully, thoughtfully, through the delicate pages. Great haul, I think. Time to get some more puzzle pieces. Stellman and Lady Casalban had work to do. Martha followed the doctor into the great hall. What's a mirror do? he asked. It reflects light, so you see a, well, a mirror image reflected in it. Is that what you mean? Good enough, he conceded. So what's the problem? Martha could see herself and the doctor both reflected in the mirror at the other end of the room. God, I look a mess. That's just your reflection. The real you is a lot tidier. Thanks. Despite the banter, the doctor was frowning. So, he said, watch me in the mirror. If I put this down on here... He took the glass diary and placed it on a small table at the side of the room. The table was covered with a faded velvet cloth that hung down. Then, he said, we should see it reflected in the mirror, right? Right, Martha agreed, still watching the reflection. And we can. Yes, I was afraid you'd say that. And if you keep looking at the book, or rather, at its reflection... Yes, doing that. And you lower your gaze ever so slightly to look under the same table. OK. You'll see. 
what? Martha stared. I see the floor, the wall. That's it. What am I supposed to see? Nothing under the table. She shook her head. So, if you now turn to look at the real table and not the reflection, you'll see quite clearly. The doctor was watching Martha as she turned, as Martha saw quite clearly that under the table was a small, fair-haired girl. Martha turned back to the mirror. Nothing. But that's impossible. The doctor was smiling and nodding. Isn't it, though? Martha turned back and saw Janna crawl out from under the table. She whipped round to check the mirror. The empty mirror. The mirror that did not show the small girl who was laughing and running from the room. Chapter 8 That is seriously weird, Martha said. The doctor had already set off across the room and she had to run to catch him up. Only sort of weird that counts, the doctor said. Where are we going? Martha asked. To find Janna. He skidded to a halt at a junction. Several doors and three other passages led off from it. Which way did she go? Martha gasped. You try down there, the doctor said, pointing along one of the passages. I'll take this one. See you back at the Great Hall, the doctor yelled over his shoulder. The man with the shattered hand picked up the glass book and walked briskly to the mirror. The mirror in which he cast no reflection. He reached behind the frame and adjusted a control. Then he stepped into the mirror. The surface rippled like dense, silvery liquid as he passed through into the world beyond, taking the diary with him. There was an echo to Martha's footsteps. Martha paused, half-turned, and heard a stifled giggle. I know you're there, she called. I heard you, Janna. I just want to talk. The doctor wants to ask you about the mirror. What about it? Janna's voice came from the other side of the corridor. I thought... Martha shook her head and turned to face the girl as she stepped out from behind a pillar. That's my sister. She's following me. But she's dead. So ignore her and maybe she'll go away. The girl turned and shouted at the empty shadows across the corridor. I wish you'd go away! It's all right, Martha told her. It's okay. You're quite safe. I'll look after you. I promise, don't be scared by the shadows. Martha reached out. Come with me, back to the Great Hall. Janna glanced into the shadows opposite before running on ahead of Martha. <laughs> Come on then, race you. The path the doctor had taken led him back to the living accommodation. Before long, he found himself walking past Gonfer's room. On an impulse, he knocked at the door. Have you got a few minutes? he called. It was completely bizarre. Martha could see herself in the mirror, but Janna, standing right next to her, just wasn't there in the reflection. Over her own reflected shoulder, she saw the doctor and Gonfer come into the room. The doctor stopped and sighed. Well, so much for my big theory. Martha turned. What theory is that? I wondered if it was an effect of the environment, a side effect of the force bubble and the way it allows light through, the doctor said. But since Gonfer here shows up loud and clear... The doctor leaned forward and peered into the mirror. 
Is my hair really like that? Pretty much. He nodded thoughtfully before deciding, Good. Good. It looks good. Don't you think it looks good? He asked Gonfer over his shoulder. Get over yourself, Martha said, laughing. Right. The doctor clapped his hands together. Then his smile froze. The glass diary. I left it on the table when we followed Jana. He patted his pockets frantically. I didn't pick it up again. Did you pick it up again? Martha shook her head. It was there. I, I didn't touch it. Martha turned back to the mirror and looked again at the reflection of the table. Doctor, she said, look in the mirror. It's in the mirror. She reached out to point to the reflection. She was close to the mirror, close enough to touch it. Her fingers brushed against the surface and went through it. Ripples of liquid reflection at her fingertips. Martha, the doctor yelled from behind her. Martha, don't! But she couldn't stop herself. It was so strange, so compelling. She leaned forward over the frame and into the mirror. She felt the cool surface of the looking glass close round her, heard a tearing sound as reality split open, and she stepped into the room beyond. The silvery surface closed round Martha, and she was gone. The doctor saw his reflected self running towards him. Neither slowed down. He bounced back off the mirror and stumbled away. Martha! He ran back to the mirror, hammering on the cold, unyielding surface. Martha, I'll get you out of there. Don't move. Don't do anything. I'll get you out. The room was like a dimly lit version of the Great Hall. There was no sign of a reflected doctor. She turned back, expecting to see him following, or perhaps standing the other side of the mirror behind her, like it was a window. Except that there wasn't a mirror behind her. There was just an empty alcove. Martha ran back, thumped at the wall, felt the dusty stone flaking under her fists as she yelled and shouted. She was trapped in the world behind the mirror, and there was no way back. Chapter 9 The doctor checked over every inch of the mirror and then started on the frame. It's just a mirror, he said, an ordinary mirror, or rather, it isn't, obviously, as it swallows people up. Jana frowned. There was a man, she said. A man? He came out of the mirror. The doctor crouched down beside her. Did he? You saw him? I was hiding under the table. This man came in and looked at the mirror and his reflection. She looked away. Yes, the doctor was beckoning with his fingers, encouraging her to tell him more. Yes, yes, yes. His reflection had a gun and shot him. The doctor's fingers stopped moving. Oh, and then the man came out of the mirror. Jana nodded. The doctor sucked air through his teeth. Who was the man? Don't know. One of the important people. He's still here. Or his reflection is. But it could be someone else, clothed in the light of his reflection. A disguise for whoever he is. The mirror can become a portal, a doorway into... somewhere. He ran back to the mirror and examined the frame. He peered behind. Found the controls, he announced. Encoded access and a deadlock seal on the security pad. 
He stepped back and threw his arms open. It must use light. I bet it uses light. That'd be brilliant using light. For what? Gonfer asked. Energy. Light is energy. But we can worry about that later. First, we need to get Martha back. He leaned towards the mirror and shouted, Soon have you out of there. Promise. Cross my hearts. You can get her back, Janna said, jumping to her feet in delight. The doctor's grin was enormous. Oh, yes. There was something very different about the place, though it took Martha a while to work out what it was. Then it struck her, so suddenly that she said it out loud. There's no smell. Is it just that smells don't have reflections, she wondered. Was that what she was now? Just a reflection? Was another version of Martha, real Martha, still out in the great hall with the doctor? Was this forever? No chance, she muttered. There had to be some other way out, a way back. The doors at the end of the great hall were standing open and she could see into the passageway outside. So what's beyond the reflection, she wondered, walking slowly towards the open doors. End of Disc 1「It's all to do with refraction」the doctor was saying as he tied the sonic screwdriver in position. He'd had to use a lace from one of his shoes, looped through the frame of the mirror and holding the sonic screwdriver angled towards the surface. We can't look, the doctor said. If it's a refractual technique, then if we see Martha in the mirror, actually inside it, then she'll never get out. It'll fix the refraction. Just observing her imprisons her inside. That's what happened to Manfred Grieg, he realised. Even if you did get out, he wiggled his lower jaw as he considered. It wouldn't be good, that's for sure. I still don't understand how she got in there, Gonfer said. Someone set the mirror to allow one person through, his eyes widened, and they put the diary in there knowing I'd see it. Oh, Martha, he realised. It was a trap, a trap for me. I am so, so sorry. But we'll get her back, Janna said. The doctor adjusted the sonic screwdriver and turned to face Gonfer and Janna. Right, you two. Get out of here. Shut the doors and don't let anyone in. Right, Gonfer said. But what about you? W won't you see Martha? I'll close my eyes, the doctor decided. That's desperately dangerous for a man with only one shoelace, but sacrifices have to be made. Beyond the patch of corridor visible through the doors, there was nothing. Or so it seemed. Martha felt her way carefully along. She was in a corridor just like the corridor outside the real Great Hall in the real Castle Extremis. Her hand felt the change from stone to wood. The give as the door she was pressing on swung slowly open. Martha stepped carefully, tentatively, into the dark room. 
Shapes loomed either side like pews in the nave of a darkened church. She gingerly reached for the nearest of the shapes. It was angular and hard to the touch. Wood. The end of a bed. Martha froze. She could hear breathing coming from the bed. From all the beds. She was in some sort of dormitory. Scaly reptilian skin caught the flickering light. A great yellow-eyed head rose from the nearest bed. Sharp teeth flashed as the great jutting jaw moved. Is that you, Sastrak? A voice growled. Is it time? Martha backed slowly away. The Zerugian's eyes continued to glow in the dark, turning, searching Martha out. Then a hand came down on her shoulder, twisted her round. Another clamped across her mouth before she could cry out. The doctor pulled her gently back into the corridor, and Martha let out a sigh of relief as soon as he removed his hand. Sorry, he whispered. Don't think we want to wake them up. He let her go first. Across the great hall, Martha could see there was now a mirror hanging in the alcove. In it, or through it, she could see the great hall, the real great hall. The doctor took her hand. Just remember, as we go through, keep your eyes closed. We mustn't look at each other. Right. Why not? If either of us sees the other one in the mirror, they'll be trapped here forever. You go first, and whatever you do, don't look back. Just walk forward, and whatever you do, whatever happens, don't look back. Martha started slowly towards the mirror, straining to hear the doctor's footsteps behind her. Right, she muttered. You still there? Right behind you. I've just got something to do. Won't be a minute. What? She almost turned round, but forced herself not to look. No reply. Doctor? Still nothing. Or was that the sound of footsteps? Of claws scraping on stone? Don't turn round. Don't turn round, Martha said to herself over and over. Out loud, but not too loud. Doctor? Still nothing. Just a strange, shuffling sound. A foot dragging on the floor, like some misshapen ghoul lumbering after Martha. She reached the mirror. She looked out into the great hall beyond, saw how the image rippled and distorted as she reached into and through it, heard the tearing of the fabric of space as she stepped out into the great hall. The real Great Hall. Can I turn round yet? Silence. Doctor, can I turn round? Then a rippling, tearing sound as something came through the mirror behind her. Chapter 10 The something landed just behind Martha. It's only me, it said. Nearly lost my shoe there. That'll teach me to take the lace out. Still, I remembered to pick this up. The doctor was holding the glass diary. Martha almost sobbed with relief. Thank God it's you! I thought... She hugged him tight for a moment. In the mirror, the doctor and Martha watched the embrace, standing separate. Ah, the doctor said seriously, disentangling himself. Should have thought of that. He reached up quickly for the sonic screwdriver attached to the frame of the mirror by his shoelace. The reflected doctor reached up too. 
but not for the sonic screwdriver. A hand rippled out of the surface of the mirror, grabbing the doctor's wrist. The reflected doctor's face was contorted in rage. His voice was a vicious snarl. Let me out. No, the doctor gasped. His fingers clutched desperately at the sonic, wrenched it away from the mirror. The surface of the mirror shimmered and the protruding hand of the mirror doctor disappeared with a tearing scrape of sound. The mirror doctor was still enraged. The reflection of Martha hurled herself at the mirror and crashed into the surface like hitting a glass window. She staggered back. They're trying to get out, Martha said. The doctor in the mirror was hammering furiously, soundlessly on the other side of the looking glass. Can they break the glass? Hope not, the doctor said. Martha in the mirror crouched down, trying to push through, her palms hard against the glass. Her mouth was moving, pleading silently with her real self. Let me out. Let me out. The doctor aimed the sonic at the mirror. I'm sorry, he said quietly. I'm so sorry. And abruptly, the image in the mirror changed. The pitiful sights of Martha trying to push through the mirror, of the doctor hammering on the glass, were gone. The doctor was aiming the sonic. Martha was standing, mouth open, a tear welling up in the corner of one eye. It's just a mirror, the doctor said quietly. Let's hope it stays that way. Gonfer was visibly relieved when Martha followed the doctor from the great hall. The doctor looked round the corridor. Where's Janna? I wanted to talk to her. I hadn't finished. There's stuff I need to ask her. What about? Martha asked. She saw a man come out of the mirror. The doctor turned back to Gonfa. Definitely need to talk to Janna. So, where did she go? He shook his head. I, I don't know. She has hidey holes and dens all over the place, or, or the gardens. Try her den, the doctor said to Martha. Then the gardens, but keep to the paths, yes? Yes, Martha agreed. She looked at Gonfa. The paths are safe, he assured her. I'll come with you. You'll stay here like I asked, the doctor told him, keeping watch while I finish reading the diary. The woman Martha followed the little girl into the garden. She wasn't sure where she had gone, the doctor read. Martha looked out across the beautiful landscape, searching for any sign of movement. Somewhere ahead of her, someone laughed. Martha looked round for its source. As she did so, she caught sight of the girl. A flash of fair hair catching the light at the edge of the maze. She set off carefully towards the maze. Martha kept to the path, scouring the ground in front of her. She'd be happy once she was in the maze. What could possibly happen to her in a garden maze? The doctor turned the thin, brittle pages, and with every page he became increasingly worried. This diary was walled up for a hundred years or more. It even feels old, yet... He turned another page. Yet this is an entry for today. How can that be? The words on the page were clear in the mirror as the doctor read on. The woman Martha followed the little girl into the garden. She saw her by the trees and then entering the maze, or rather, she thought she did. Inside the maze, Martha stopped, uncertain which way to go. She turned and was startled to see. The doctor held his breath as he turned the glass page and held it up to see its reflection in the mirror. As soon as she entered the maze, 
the hedges seemed to close in around Martha. She now had no idea which way to go. As she turned, a figure stepped into the maze beside her. The cloaked and hooded figure of a monk. Who are you? Martha said, her voice nervous. She took a step back as the monk approached. When the monk spoke, his voice was ragged and sharp and rasping, as if he was talking through broken glass. But it wasn't the monk's voice that made Martha's blood run cold and her throat go dry. It was what he said to her. Greetings, time traveller. Chapter 11 Martha backed away from the cloaked figure. Something gleamed in the darkness under the hood as the figure stepped towards Martha. She turned and ran. She had to find Janna. Maybe the girl would know what was going on. Martha pulled up, gasping for breath. The tinkling sound of laughter came from the other side of a hedge. She could make out the shape of Janna on the other side. Her fair hair was shining gold. The hedge was too high to climb and too thick to push through, so Martha had to follow the maze. She caught a glimpse of Janna peeping back at her from round a corner, but by the time she got there, the girl had gone. It seemed to be a game to the girl, a cross between hide-and-seek and follow the leader. Martha set off deeper into the maze. The doctor read. It seemed to Martha that it was not only one little girl she was following. It seemed to Martha that perhaps, just perhaps, the girl's dead sister was there in the maze with them. A ghostly figure behind the hedges laughing and playing and keeping to the shadows, close to where she had died. The doctor shut the diary. That was the last entry. He needed to find Martha. He needed to get to the maze. The path she was on led to a dead end, but Martha could see that there was an opening just ahead of her. She stepped through and found herself in a large square, the centre of the maze. The focal point was a weathered statue of a massive Zerugian warrior brandishing a fearsome-looking gun. Its teeth were chipped and worn, and the base of the statue was crumbling with age. As she approached, Martha saw a shadow emerging from behind the statue. The cloaked figure of the monk stepped forward, blocking Martha's escape. What do you want? Martha demanded. In reply, the monk unfolded his arms from the sleeves of the cloak. He held something up, something that glinted and shone as it caught the light. Martha gasped in astonishment. The doctor sprinted into the grounds. Maze, 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 he said to himself. If he stuck to the path, it was much further than the direct route across the lawn. He didn't hesitate. Sonic screwdriver in hand, he set off at a jog. The tip of the screwdriver glowed blue as he angled it ahead of him. It bleeped rhythmically. Suddenly, the rhythm changed. Changing course seemed to make no difference and the doctor stopped abruptly. There was no way through. With a sigh, the doctor adjusted a setting and aimed the sonic screwdriver. The air was split with the deafening roar of the explosion as the mine detonated. The ground shook with the force of the blast from somewhere outside the maze. Martha staggered and almost fell. The monk clutched at the base of the statue for support, almost dropping the glass book he was holding. The diary. How did you get that? Martha demanded. 
You ask me how I got it? The monk countered in his rasping voice. There was another explosion. The monk was knocked backwards as the ground shook. The movement shook his hood back from his face. His gleaming, broken face. His thinning white hair was like ice, moulded to his head. His face was lined and worn, every facet of it catching and reflecting the light. A thin crack ran from his forehead down to his chin. Then Janna ran from behind the monk and hurled herself at him, sending him sprawling. Martha grabbed Janna. The monk had fallen between them and the way out, so she dragged the girl behind the statue. Peeping out cautiously from behind the plinth, Martha saw the monk haul himself to his feet. He had one hand pressed to his face as he staggered back into the maze. Why did you run away from me? Martha hissed to Janna. The girl's eyes were wide in surprise. I didn't. I followed you, she said. But you came in here first, Martha insisted. Janna looked back at her impassive. You are so strange, she said. Then she skipped across to the paving where the monk had fallen. What's this? Martha could see it too. Something that caught the light and shimmered and gleamed and shone. It's glass. Must be from the book. Martha took it carefully from the girl, but it was the wrong shape. He must have dropped it, she murmured. What do you think? she asked as a shadow fell across the ground at her feet. But Janna had gone. The shadow was the doctor's. He took the glass from her and examined it. I think our troubles may just be beginning. What do you think, Martha? I think, she told him, that Janna's sister is still alive. Chapter 12 As soon as the doctor and Martha reached the courtyard, Defron hurried over to them. I am so glad I found you. Nice to see you too, the doctor said. Are we late for tea or something? I'm sorry. Crumpets? Doctor, Defron said seriously, I do appreciate the value of maintaining a cover. Really, I do. A cover? Pretending to be eccentric and, well, a bit daffy. Dr Daffy Duck, Martha murmured. While, of course, underneath the pretense you are a coiled spring of razor-sharp intelligence observing every minute detail and planning every nuance of strategy. The doctor sighed. He brushed mud from his lapel. You've rumbled me. But you will be there for the ceremony to officially open the negotiations and sign the preliminary treaty documents. Live on telly? The doctor asked. Millions watching? Just the place for a great gesture from one side or the other. Defron shrugged. I suppose so. You don't think, Martha said slowly. The doctor put his finger to her lips. We'll be there, he said. One other thing. A girl died. A girl called Tilda a while ago. She was killed by a landmine out in the grounds. Is this important? She's dead, Martha said sternly. Well, yes, re regrettable condolences, but does it impinge on the current situation? Might do, the doctor said. So how do I find out more about what happened? Talk to Colonel Blench. As the GA Force commanding officer, he has access to all Castle extremist security archives. Colonel Blench showed no surprise at the doctor's request. We'll see what records we can find. 
he said, before giving instructions to a soldier sitting at a large computer console. Searching now, sir, the soldier said as he worked at the keyboard. Looks like there are some still images of the event. Defron has filled me in a little on your role, the colonel said. Are you anticipating any trouble at the ceremony? Should we be? Martha asked. After the death of Secretary Checks, you tell me. So long as you're ready for anything, the doctor said. We're ready, Blench confirmed to the doctor. Give us the release codes and we'll do the job. Excellent, the doctor said. Uh, release codes? For release of weapons, Blench said. As you know, we'd need a formal release of weapons from you political guys. Ah, of course, the doctor said. Never trust soldiers with guns. Wise policy. So, you need official sanction for use of force from an accredited GA representative. Blench laughed. <sighs> I don't know about accredited, but if you have the code that unlocks my soldiers' weapons, then uh, that'll do just fine. Because without it, Martha said, wanting to be sure she understood, the guns won't work. The doctor was examining the three pictures on the screen. Martha, the doctor prompted. Martha examined the pictures. They showed the twisted, broken body of a girl. A girl exactly like Janna. Well, she's certainly dead, she said. Sadly, it didn't need much medical training to know that. There's no way that girl is still alive. I was looking at the mud here, the doctor said. There was still grass growing where the doctor was pointing, and footprints pressed into the grass, exposing the mud beneath. Looks like she was on tiptoe, Martha said. The doctor tapped the screen thoughtfully. She was running, the doctor said, and someone was chasing her. The doctor led the way through Castle Extremis. They were heading for the Great Hall by way of Gonfer's quarters. You think the Zerudians inside the mirror are a sort of fifth column? Martha asked, ready to come out and fight behind enemy lines, that sort of thing. Perfect place to hide an army. General Orlo? He provided the mirror, so it seems likely. But why kill Czechs? They had arrived at Gonfer's rooms, and the doctor knocked on the door. Moments later, Gonfer appeared. Tell us what happened to Tilda, the doctor said quietly. Gonfer shrugged. There was an accident, oh, I told you before. You said she ran off, the doctor said. You said no one dared to follow her, but someone did, didn't they? Gonfer nodded. The kitchen boy, she was always playing him up. I think he'd just had enough. So he chased her, Martha said, and he didn't stop when she ran into the gardens. He was so angry, Gonfer said. He thought, I suppose, that... He could see where she was putting her feet, and he just kept following. I guess she panicked when she realised he was going to catch her. Gonfer turned away, unable to look at them as he spoke. She strayed from the safe path. Martha reached out and put her hand on Gonfer's shoulder. You saw it happen, didn't you? She realised. The pictures were bad enough, but Gonfer had known the girl, had known the kitchen boy too, wherever he was now. I saw it happen, he echoed. Now I do what I can to help Janna, but she'll never get over it. Not ever. They left him alone with his memories. The great hall was empty, the doors standing open. They walked slowly towards the mirror. 
Martha found it hard to believe that she had actually been into the mirror, been trapped inside it. Right, the doctor announced. Just shut down the mortal mirror and we're done. Go on then. The doctor had his sonic screwdriver in one hand and in the other he was holding the glass diary. There was a bit in here about how the thing works. Something moved. In the reflection, Martha caught just a glimpse, a flicker of motion. She peered into the mirror. Something was moving on the side wall of the great hall. At first she thought it was one of the suits of armour, poised in an alcove. Then she realised it was just the figure's sword. As she watched, the sword lifted free, as if of its own accord. Doctor! Tearing her gaze from the sword dangling impossibly in the air in the mirror, Martha also turned. The sword was held by a man, the expert and historian Thoridin. Martha checked the mirror and saw that he cast no reflection. When she turned back, Thoridin was charging towards them, his left arm raised behind him, balancing his sword arm. And Martha saw that the trailing arm had no hand. It ended in a broken, ragged stump, facets reflecting the light like mirrors. The sword sliced through the air. The blade caught the doctor's hand as he parried with the only thing he had. The sword jarred on the glass book and sent it spinning across the room. With an explosion of sound, the diary hit the ground and shattered into fragments. The doctor sucked his fingers, looking annoyed more than scared, and Martha stared at the man in utter disbelief, the man who cast no reflection in the mirror. He's made of glass, she gasped. Chapter 13 Are you the man in the mirror? the doctor demanded as he backed away. Was it you following us? Martha was backing off too, but away from the doctor. If they kept separate, one of them should be able to get to the door and go for help. I don't know what you're talking about, Thoridin said, swinging the sword. And you know what? I don't care. He charged at the doctor again, who stepped nimbly aside. I'd offer you a hand, he said, only I gave it back to Stellman. It was your hand, wasn't it? Thoridin didn't answer. He thrust the sword at the doctor again, and again the doctor dodged aside at the last moment. The sword smashed into one of the suits of armour. The armour collapsed in a clanging heap. A sword clattered, and the doctor snatched it up. He tested the weight of the sword as he waited for Thoridin to close in. They were blocking the route between Martha and the door as they fought. The doctor seemed to be enjoying himself. He easily parried Thoridin's sword thrusts, but was unable to get through the man's guard. The doctor backed away as Thoridin came at him again. He was standing close to Martha now. Thoridin hurled himself at them, shrieking in rage, sword raised. Run! Martha yelled. Yeah! The doctor agreed, racing after her. Thoridin at his heels. Good plan! Martha reached the doors ahead of the doctor and turned to see how close he was. Thoridin was bringing his sword down fast. But then, what looked like a bundle of scruffy rags rolled out from under a side table and tangled in Thoridin's feet. The man went flying. The bundle unrolled and resolved itself into the shape of a young girl, who leapt to her feet and dashed after Martha and the doctor. Janna! Thoridin crashed to the floor. His scream cut through the air like broken glass. Martha watched, horrified, unable to look away. His face was cracked across, one half slightly misaligned with the other. He staggered to his feet and scooped up his sword. He held it awkwardly in crazed fingers. Come on, Martha! the doctor yelled. Out into the corridor, Thoridin hurling himself after them, sword slicing the air. 
Then a figure stepped out of the shadows ahead of them. Stellman. Doctor Duck, he shouted. That's me, the doctor confirmed. Bit busy right now, though. No, Martha yelled in his ear. He means duck. She hurled herself to the floor, dragging the doctor and Jana with her. Stellman raised the glass gun and fired. The gunshot was a massive echoing percussion of sound in the stone corridor. Martha looked up in time to see Thoradin's whole side smash and break away. Another shot. The glass head exploded into fragments and the body crashed forwards. It shattered on the hard stone floor. Stellman walked calmly past them. Well, he said, there's something you don't see every day. Glass man shattered with a glass bullet from a glass gun, the doctor said, picking himself up. Seems appropriate. Very, Stellman agreed, considering I found it in his room. You search everyone's rooms, Martha said. Of course, you can't be too careful. Stellman turned the gun over in his hand. You know, I assumed it was glass so he could get it past the weapons detectors. Now I'm not so sure. It's the gun he used to shoot the real man, Janna said, when he came out of the mirror. He came out of a mirror, Stellman said. He gave a short laugh. <laughs> you are kidding me, right? Wrong, the doctor told him. Look, he was made of glass. Of course he came out of a mirror. Where else would he have come from? Stained glass window, maybe, Martha offered. Yes, all right, well, I suppose that's possible, the doctor conceded. The city of glass on the glass planet of the glass people, Stellman suggested. And aren't there glass deserts and a pyramid on San Caloon? Yeah, all right, so several possibilities then. But actually, he came out of the mortal mirror and Janna saw him, didn't you? He turned around, but the girl had gone. She doesn't hang around, Martha said. I think we need to find Janna, the doctor said. See what else she knows. All of us, Martha asked, rolling her eyes towards Stellman. What? Oh, uh, Stellman, can you delay this official ceremony thing, or at least get it shifted to somewhere other than the Great Hall? I'll do what I can. And we'll go and ask Janna how come she doesn't have a reflection, Martha said as Stellman left. I mean, that's got to be important, right? Thoradin had no reflection and neither does Janna. Oh, they both have reflections, the doctor told her. Or did. He kicked aside some of the shattered glass strewn across the floor. Janna doesn't have a reflection, Martha said. You know that. You pointed that out to me. I was wrong. He said simply, Janna has a reflection and you've seen it, maybe even spoken to it. You followed it into the maze, remember? Bill balanced the dented helmet on top of the suit of armour he'd just finished putting back together. There we go. What do you think, Bot? It's very nice, Bill, Bot said. Gotta keep everything nice and tidy, Bill said. He spun slowly round, inspecting the great hall. Didn't like sweeping up that glass, Bot said. Doesn't do my vacuum attachment any good at all, Bill agreed. Something gets broken, Bill. Guess who has to clear it up, Bot told him. Anyway, we've still got the sound system to set up. There was an edge of satisfaction in Bill's voice as they emerged into the corridor. Yeah, the whole castle is looking very tidy, Bot. They rounded a corner of the corridor and stopped. Where the blooming egg did all this glass come from? Bill exclaimed. 
Did you manage to shut down the mirror? Martha asked. The doctor shook his head. But now that Thoradin is out of the way, there's no one to switch it on. Unless he had an accomplice, Martha said. Ever the optimist, the doctor said, smiling. We know Thoradin killed Checks. He clunked Gonfer over the head and then stalked after us in the monk's outfit. Er, uh, Martha said. The monk man wasn't Thoradin. The doctor let out an explosive sigh. So who is the monk? Why don't you ask him, Martha suggested. Stepping out from an alcove into the flickering light was a hooded figure. Another figure stepped out of the alcove. At first, Martha thought it was Janna. But then she saw how the light reflected off the girl's face, her hair, her clothes, like they were made of glass. The monk reached up slowly with one hand and pushed back the hood of the cloak. Martha recognised the face beneath, a face made of old, brittle glass. In his other hand, the monk was holding the glass diary. But that was impossible. The diary had been smashed to pieces. The doctor stopped in front of the two glass figures. I know who you are, Janna, he said, and I can make a good guess now at you, he said to the monk. I'm not Janna, the girl said. Janna's dead. She's been dead for years. What? Martha gasped. The monk took a step forward. Forgive me if I frightened you earlier, he said to Martha. I am Manfred Grieg, the man in the mirror. Chapter 14 So who are you and what do you want? Martha asked Grieg. Are you really made of glass? Glass people. I've seen it all now. The mirror isn't just a portal to another universe, the doctor said. Once you're inside, you're made of light. If anyone sees you, then that rewrites your DNA as a translucent matrix. Probably, he added. The girl who wasn't Janna was desperate to say something. Now she blurted it out. Why does my sister run away from me? Martha crouched down, so she was at eye level with the girl. She doesn't know who you are. She's afraid of you. She thinks you're a ghost. The girl laughed nervously. That's silly. Is it any more silly than a reflection running about the place? The doctor asked gently. She's frightened and nervous. And since Tilda died... But Tilda didn't die! The girl said. What do you mean? Martha asked. I'm Tilda! The girl insisted. It was Janna who died. It should have been me, but it was my sister. It's all my fault, and now even my own self can't bear to look at me. Manfred Grieg put his hand on the girl's shoulder. Time for all that later. First, we must stop General Orlo. You're sure he's behind all this, Martha said. I mean, Thoradin killing checks and everything. He's the most likely suspect, Martha the doctor said. For all his talk about diplomacy and being tired of war, it was Orlo who brought the mirror here. The real mortal mirror that his family saved and preserved. It's no copy. You were imprisoned inside it, though, Martha said to Grieg. In the story. Oh, the story is true, as far as it goes. But Orlo thinks the mirror is a prison. 
He thinks he can hide soldiers inside and bring them out when they are needed. Well, yes, Martha said. The doctor put his hand on her arm. You're saying he's wrong? The door was always open, said Grieg. The mirror is not a prison, but a trap. A trap that allows no escape, no matter how you come and go through the portal. A trap that, once you understand it, will destroy all those dreams forever. Grieg's eyes gleamed as he leaned forwards. Do you want to understand it, Doctor? The Doctor returned Grieg's stare. Then he dropped to the floor, landing cross-legged, patting the stone slab beside him. Sit down, Martha. It's story time. It was called the Mortal Mirror, in honour of the mortal monks of Moradinard, who originally built Castle Extremis. But the monks had nothing to do with the mirror. When the Anthium fleet ventured out beyond the Visonic Belt, they realised that the only safe route through was past the monastery. Fleet Admiral Karloff knew that the monastery would make an ideal forward base for any attack Anthium wished to press home. Zerugma had just been discovered. We considered the reptilian race there to be warlike and aggressive. We feared they would make war on us, and they feared we would attack them. Extremis, as the monastery was renamed, became the first battlefield, and the mortal monks became the first innocent casualties. By the time I was appointed chief minister, the war was old, and we were all weary. I pressed for Anthium to negotiate with Zerugma, but we had to do that from strength, and they held Extremis. My first task on the road to peace was to take it back, but the Lord High Advocate for Anthium was a man called Kendall Pennard. He welcomed the stalemate created when I took back Extremis for him, and it was in his interest to prolong the status quo. When things change, then the people expect a change of leaders too. And Pennard was so very ambitious, so hungry for power. He couldn't believe that my dreams were purely for peace, for an end to the war and the death... He thought I was after his job, and he would defend that more fiercely than he would ever defend this castle. But it was not enough to denounce me. Pennard knew he needed me if he was to maintain the peace. I was the only man the Zerudians would ever begin to trust. So Pennard needed a way of forcing me to work for him while giving up all my ambitions and aspirations, as he saw it, for power. He went to the dark smiths of Coragula. They can bend any material to their will, even light itself. They created the mortal mirror, named mortal after the mortal monks, and also because that was the trap. Mortality. You know, of course, of the great feast. You know how Pennard forced me into the mortal mirror. Everyone saw me, inside, cut off hammering on the glass and screaming to be let out. And when the feast was over and everyone was gone, Pennard explained what he had done and how the mirror worked, and the trap. He told me how I could escape from the mirror. Any time I liked, I could come out and he would protect me if I worked for him. But always, I would live in fear of my own mortality, I would remember how brittle and fragile my life would be. 
I would live from second to second, knowing that at any moment... Grieg stopped. He stared off into space as he remembered his past. But I don't understand, Martha said. If you could escape from the mirror at any time, what was the point? Grieg held up his hand so that the light was behind it, shining through and illuminating the cracks and chips and blemishes in the coloured glass. This is the point. They'd all seen him in the mirror, the doctor said, just as Jana saw her own reflection. I had the last laugh, Grieg said, though there was no mirth in it. I refused to come out of the mirror. He shouted and screamed and finally begged me to come out. But I retreated into the darkness beyond the reflection. I vowed never to set foot again in the real world. And once you were gone, the doctor said, Zurugma went to war with Anthium. He nodded. Without me there to mediate, the war started again. Zerugma took Extremis again, and Orlo's great-grandfather took the mortal mirror. And why have you come out of the mirror now? Martha asked. After all this time? Because once again, there is, finally, a chance for peace. If we stop General Orlo... If the treaty negotiations go ahead in good faith. You can have peace at last, Martha realised. But Grieg shook his head. I shall never have peace. Thanks to the light-fusing technology of the Darksmiths, I am made of glass. Brittle, delicate, fragile glass. Every moment I spend in this world, I risk cracking, chipping, breaking... Shattering. Every step I take, I grind down my own foot. Every moment I am here, I risk my life. That was the trap. He stood up, and Martha saw how carefully he planned every moment. How cautiously he moved. Grieg turned to the doctor, who was also getting to his feet. Now you know what to do. Get to the ceremony and stop General Orlo. He held up his hand, clenching it into a fist so tight that Martha could hear the glass cracking like ice. Grieg's features contorted in pain as he held up his clenched fist. Make this all worthwhile, he said. Hurrying back to the Great Hall, Martha knew what they had to do. We must stop the ceremony. Oh, no, 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 the doctor told her. Orlo doesn't understand. His plan's based on a false premise. We have to let the ceremony go ahead. We have to flush them out, expose the truth. Doctor, Martha, thank goodness. Stellman came running up to them. I couldn't persuade Defron to postpone the ceremony. It's going ahead in a few minutes in the Great Hall. Brilliant, the doctor said. The more people there to see what happens, the better. Bill and Bot were clearing away the remains of the shattered glass that had once been Thoradin as they neared the Great Hall. Might need you in the Great Hall soon, the doctor said. Is the sound system all set up? Set up and tested, Bot said proudly. Latest technology, Bill added. With a top-end range amplifier and a tonal distortion matrix built in? As standard, Bill agreed. State of the art, Bot said. The doctor beamed. 
He lowered his voice as he explained to them what he wanted. Soon as you can, he finished. Happy to help, Bot called after the doctor, Martha and Stellman. Just so long as there's no mess, Bill said. The doors to the Great Hall were standing open. The soldiers on duty snapped to attention as the doctor, Martha and Stellman passed. The crowded hall had been turned into an auditorium with a raised area in front of the mortal mirror. Massive speakers were arranged along the sides of the hall. Just inside the doors was a large sound mixing desk. Bill and Bot had sneaked into the hall and were watching from behind the desk. Aren't we going to stop them or say something? Martha asked. Defron was on his feet. The assembled press, a mixture of humans and reptilian Zerugians, as well as various other people that Martha wasn't sure counted as either, became hushed. I'm glad I ordered ice cream for the interval, the doctor said. Where's Stillman gone? Over there. Martha pointed to where the man was taking his seat on the dais beside Lady Casalburn. Right, Defron announced. I do apologise for the slight delay. Along the sides of the hall, GA soldiers stood impassive. The press waited expectantly. It is no exaggeration to say, Defron went on, that today history will be made. He gestured to a small table at the side of the room. A velvet cloth hung down almost to the stone floor and on it was an open book. That must be the treaty they're going to sign, Martha whispered. The doctor yawned. Come on, Orlo, he murmured. We are about to witness, Defron announced, but he got no further. Be silent, General Orlo roared. The tiny microphone attached to his breastplate relayed his words through huge speakers. Defron turned, flustered and confused. I beg your pardon? The general rose to his clawed feet. He grabbed Defron by the shoulders, lifted him off his feet and hurled the startled man from the dais. There was confused muttering. Cameras began to flash as the press sensed a photo opportunity. Orlo stood at the front of the dais. Behind him, Lady Casalban made to stand up, but Stellman put his hand on her shoulder. Silently, he gestured for her to leave the side of the dais. Today you will indeed witness history, General Orlo stared out at the audience, waiting for silence. Martha gasped. The mirror. Look in the mirror. The mirror was angled so that the press could not see themselves reflected in it. All they could see was General Orlo and the line of Zerugian soldiers marching through the open doors at the back of the hall. As they approached the mirror, Martha and everyone else could see the shining breastplates, the clawed hands holding their guns, the snarling, dripping teeth. Orlo turned so that it was his reflection that spoke out of the mirror to the confused audience. Today, Zerugma will conquer, he announced and the reflected image of Orlo stepped out of the mirror to stand beside the real general, his soldiers marching through behind them, weapons raised. Chapter 15 Defron struggled to his feet. His voice was quavering as he addressed the two mirrored figures looking down at him. G general Orlo, what is going on here? Victory, both Orlos said together. I don't understand. Of course you don't, you snivelling wretch, 
the original Orlo declared. I hold castle extremists and my troops will crush any resistance. This castle is neutral territory, Defron thundered. It is under the jurisdiction of the Galactic Alliance. Colonel Blench! Blench stepped into the aisle. Sir, he acknowledged. You will please escort the general, uh, the generals, Defron corrected himself, to the negotiating chamber. More of the GA soldiers deployed along the side and down the aisle in professional, practised moves. Their weapons trained on the dais. Can I say something before anyone does anything a bit, well, silly? The doctor was walking slowly up the aisle, hands deep in his pockets. What is it, doctor? Orlo's reflection demanded. The doctor stopped in front of the dais. Surrender, he said. You want glory and honour for your people? Then fight for it at the negotiating table. You have one chance. Surrender. For an answer, Orlo raised a hand. Immediately, the Zerudian soldiers arranged behind him levelled their weapons. You forget, Doctor. My troops are armed. Really? With guns that work? The Doctor seemed to freeze. Ah, then he smiled. Maybe I don't need guns. Blench was standing close behind the Doctor now. Give us the release codes he said. As a special agent and representative of the Galactic Alliance, you can authorise use of weapons. Our guns won't work without the codes. The doctor was still staring at the two generals. Is that what you want? The doctor asked. I give Blench and his men the codes and you all shoot it out. I tell you, Orlo, it's over. Surrender now. At the back of the hall, Martha held her breath. Of course the doctor didn't have any codes to give. The two generals turned to look at each other. Then the real Orlo said... Give Colonel Blench the release codes. The doctor's mouth dropped open. What? He leaned forward. What? He shook his head. What? Or could it be, Orlo's reflection said quietly, that you don't know the codes? Doctor, Blench said urgently. I'll tell him, the doctor warned. The two massive reptiles in front of him folded their arms. You're no more a GA representative than I am, Orlo said. I have friends at Galactic Central and they tell me no observers were dispatched to these talks. Tell him he's wrong, Defron insisted. The GA Council themselves told me that they have an agent here. Two agents, in fact. The Doctor and Miss Martha. Ah, the Doctor said. Well, that's not strictly true, is it? I mean, they didn't actually give you our names, did they? Well, no. Defron admitted. But who else could it be? No one, Orlo said. He sounded bored. I told you no agents or observers were dispatched, so I suggest you tell your men to drop their weapons, Colonel Blench. I suggest you surrender. The doctor held up his hand. You really don't get it, do you? No agents were dispatched because the GA agents were already here. Orlo stepped to the front of the dais, towering over the doctor. You are bluffing. Want to bet on it? And I'll tell you another thing. Your army there isn't as mighty and all-powerful as you think. Because the mortal mirror doesn't work in the way you believe it does. Your army, even your reflection standing beside you there, they're all made of glass. You lie. The doctor shrugged. Suit yourself. But when Blench gets his release codes, you'll soon find out. Last chance. Surrender. Never. Orlo snarled. There are no codes. You think I haven't monitored and checked every transmission in and out of extremists? No codes have been sent. 
Maybe he's right, Doctor, Blench said quietly. No, 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 the Doctor said. Surely the codes could have been sent by post or courier or carrier pigeon or... Well, somehow. The Doctor turned to the audience, most of whom were now ducking behind the chairs. Could have been narrow-beamed directly to the agents, Bill called from the back of the room. There you are then, the Doctor said happily. Encrypted for the receiver only, Bot agreed. That wouldn't go through main comms and no one else would detect it. General Orlo was shaking his massive scaly head. A narrow beam direct communication is a network protocol for sending instructions and data to equipment and technology. You mean like a robot? the doctor asked. Orlo blinked. A trail of viscous saliva dripped from his open jaw. I really don't think there's any option left, the doctor said sadly. Colonel Blench... The Galactic Alliance authorises you for use of weapons. No! Orlo roared. Then surrender! The doctor shouted at him. In reply, Orlo ripped the microphone from his breastplate and dashed it to the floor. And from the back of the hall, Bill said, The GA release code is 974 oblique stroke 2. Colonel Blench, you have use of weapons, Bot added. Doesn't he, Bill? He certainly does, Bot, Bill said. Take cover! From all round the hall, there came the sound of the GA soldiers entering the release code into their weapons. You are outnumbered, Colonel Blench told General Orlo. Orlo's lips curled back from his stained, yellowing teeth. You think so? In the mirror behind, another group of Zerugian soldiers marched into the reflection of the Great Hall. Then another, and another, marching towards the mirror and stepping out of it into the real world. Martha dived behind the sound desk. Soldiers raced for cover. The press and dignitaries in the audience were under their chairs, hiding behind the huge speakers or running for the doors. Colonel Blench was shouting to his troops to wait and to Orlo and the Zerugians to surrender. But after a moment... His voice was lost in the deafening roar of the guns. The doctor dived under the side table with the treaty book on it. It was a bit cramped, but it would have to do. And if he was going to end this madness, he needed to talk to the person already hiding under the table. The doctor lifted the edge of the velvet tablecloth to peer out. The GA soldiers were retreating towards the main doors, forced back by the sheer number of Zerugians from the mirror... A bullet hammered into a Zerugian close to the table. It caught the creature in the leg, shattering it. The Zerugian collapsed, one arm breaking as it hit the stone floor. The side of its head sheared off, but still it tried to drag itself on, firing its own weapon as it went. Brittle but resilient, the doctor murmured. We need more than bullets. Bullets never solved anything. We need... He turned towards the girl. You. Her eyes were wide. What can I do? The doctor held up his sonic screwdriver. Get this to Martha. Tell her Bill and Bot will know how to use it. And what's it do? Before the doctor could answer, the cloth was pulled aside and a snarling green face appeared. A gun swung up to cover the doctor and Janna. The snarl became a reptilian smile as a claw tightened on the trigger. Chapter 16 Janna shrieked as the grotesque green face pulled back, a fine maze of cracks webbing across its scaled cheek. 
The doctor thrust the sonic screwdriver right at the Zerugian. A high-pitched squeal erupted from the sonic screwdriver. The mass of cracks became splits, widening and growing. Then the whole creature exploded in a shattering blast of glass fragments. The doctor dived across Janna to protect her from the flying shards. That's what it does, he said, but it's too focused to be much use except right up close like that. He held out the sonic for her to take. Get it to Martha. I'll distract them. The doctor jumped to his feet. His face was set in a stern, uncompromising expression. Immediately, a Zerugian turned towards him. The doctor shoved the creature aside. Its feet skidded on broken glass and it crashed to the floor. The doctor stepped over the shattered body. Orlo, he shouted. You have to end this. You stop it or I will. Your choice. There were two General Orlos, but he didn't care which one he spoke to. They would be of the same mind. And how can you stop me now? A voice said from behind the doctor. The doctor took a moment to look round before he answered. The other Orlo, the reflection, was halfway down the hall leading his warriors against Colonel Blench's forces. Blench and his men had taken what cover they could. There was a barricade hastily built from piled up chairs and behind that was the sound desk. The doctor could see Janna crawling between the legs of the jungle pile of chairs. Oh, I'll stop you, the doctor said. You and your army of glass. Orlo leaned forward so close the doctor could feel the cold breath on his face. Never. The doctor wiped flecks of saliva from his face. I was afraid you'd say that. I'm sorry. He raised his voice and called to the back of the great hall. Now, Martha! Janna ran past the soldiers at the makeshift barricade, holding out the sonic screwdriver to Martha. He said you'd know what to do, you and Bill and Bot. Bill turned from adjusting controls on the sound desk. That the sonic? he asked. Looks like it could be a sonic to me, Bot said. Good, been waiting for that, Bill said. In your own time, the doctor's voice called from the other side of the barricade. You are wasting my time and your life. Orlo's snarling tones replied. Bot took the sonic screwdriver and set about attaching it to the centre of the sound desk. Just link up the audio feed, Bot said. And then we can start, Bill added. Start what? Martha asked. Bill looked at Bot. Bot looked at Bill. This! They both said together. Don't lecture me about time, the doctor was saying. His words faded under the building hum of noise that emerged from the speakers along the side of the hall. It rose in volume and in pitch. Martha and Janna had their hands clamped over their ears. There was a violent crash as part of the barricade collapsed. A Zerugian staggered through the gap, hurling chairs aside as he came. But he was shaking, his features a shimmering blur. He lurched in front of one of the massive speakers, and still the sound grew and rose, until the Zerugian exploded in a shower of glittering fragments of glass. More Zerugians were following the first, but they too were staggering and vibrating. One fell forward as its legs shattered, another crashed into the speaker and was blown back in a blizzard of fragments. Only one Zerugian staggered on. The glass reflection of General Orlo, face cracked. One of his arms ended in a jagged stump at the elbow, but he lumbered towards the sound desk. Martha staggered out to stop him. She could barely see now. Her eyes were watering so much. But Orlo's reflection thrust her aside. He lunged over the sound desk. Stop him! Martha yelled. He's going for the sonic! 
A glass claw clamped down on the sonic screwdriver. Cracks rippled up the fingers and forearm. The whole of Orlo's body crazed with a spider's web of fractures. Orlo wrenched the sonic clear and hurled it away. The sound cut out. There was a snapping sound as the sonic hammered into the wall by the door. It fell to the floor in pieces. For a moment, there was complete and utter silence. Then the glass Orlo turned and reached for Janna, his broken claws raking down towards her face. Janna screamed from point-blank range. The claws shattered. The hand exploded. Orlo's legs folded under him, collapsing under his own weight. That's it, Martha gasped. Keep screaming. Janna, keep screaming. And you too, she yelled at Bill and Bot. Put it through the speakers. With a final snarl of anger and pain, the glass Orlo lashed out. The remains of his shattered arm swept Janna off her feet. She fell sideways, head hitting the side of the sound desk, as Orlo himself fell backwards in fragments to the floor. Martha was at Janna's side in a moment, cradling the girl in her arms, but Janna was unconscious. Martha laid her down carefully on the floor. Microphone? Bill offered. Martha took it and screamed. She shouted and yelled and shrieked till she was hoarse. But the Zerudians were unaffected. The GA soldiers were falling back, helpless as they ran out of ammunition. It's the wrong pitch, Bot said. We need Janna. We need her screams. But the girl lay unconscious on the floor beside them as General Orlo's Zerudian army advanced through the great hall of Castle Extremis. When Janna's scream cut out, the doctor knew he had problems. General Orlo knew that too as he advanced on the doctor. We could talk about this, the doctor said. I mean, if you want. Orlo's arm struck out and claws closed on the doctor's neck. Or not, the doctor managed to gasp. Then he was tumbling through the air and rolling across the dais and landing heavily. Strong hands, human hands, helped the doctor to his feet. Thank you, Mr Stellman, but don't feel you have to hang on here for me. I'm not, Stellman said. The doctor could see Lady Casalban sitting pale and weak on a chair at the side of the dais, out of the way of the ongoing battle. Then Orlo's hands grabbed the doctor's shoulders from behind. Stellman opened his jacket, just enough for the doctor to see the flash of reflected light from the gun tucked into Stellman's inside pocket. You're finished, doctor, Orlo snarled. Some of the Zerugians were chipped and broken. All of them were weakened and cracked. But they were coming through the gaps in the barricade quicker than Colonel Blench and his depleted force could hold them off. With little or no ammunition, the fighting was hand to hand. Soldiers were hurling chairs, swinging their guns like swords, kicking, punching. Bot had taken up guard position in front of the sound equipment. One of his heavy arms flailed and thumped. The other was fitted with a blowtorch attachment, the jet of intense blue flame melting into a Zerugian that hurled itself at him. His other arm punched the blackened, twisted remains to pieces. Martha was kneeling beside Janna, but there was no sign of her coming round. Let me, a voice said. A figure crouched down and lifted the girl. It was Gonfa. Let me get her away from here. Gonfa lifted Janna in his arms. His face was streaked with tears. I told her not to. I said there must be another way, but she wouldn't listen. It's my fault, and she's going to die again because of me. 
She'll be all right, Martha insisted above the shouts and the shots and the crash of breaking glass. Get Janna away from here. Not Janna, Gonfer said, his voice catching in his throat. Tilda. Then the screaming started. The sound was deafening. The girls' screams echoed round the hall, accompanied by the percussion of exploding glass. Only the mortal mirror seemed immune as all those troops, already cracked and weakened, shattered to fragments. With a furious roar, Orlo hurled the doctor aside. You're nobody, he hissed. You're not even fit to be a hostage. He leapt forward and dragged Lady Casalban up from her chair. I'm getting out of here, doctor, he said, or she dies. The girl's mouth was wide open as she screamed. A network of cracks spread across her face, along her arms, over her whole body. Martha could only watch, horrified. Stop! another voice shouted. The cloaked figure of a monk staggered through the doors. Enough! Manfred Gree croaked through cracked glass lips. Tilda stopped screaming. Her body creaked as she turned to face Grieg. She shivered but remained intact. Is it over? she asked. Grieg's face was also cracked and crazed. It's over, he said. You did it, Martha said, struggling to hold back her emotions. You saved us all. The girl was holding up her hand, staring at the lines and fissures where the glass had fractured inside. I did it, she said quietly. Will Tilda be all right? The claws were pressed into the wrinkled skin of Lady Casalban's neck. His feet crunched on broken glass as he dragged the woman across the hall. I can assemble another army, and this time we will take Castle Extremis. Lady Casalban struggled to shake her head. No, Orlo, haven't you learned anything? Silence, hag! Orlo roared. With a whimper, Lady Casalban sagged. Orlo bent with her as she became a dead weight. Her arms trailed along the floor for a moment before Orlo hauled her upright again. Let me go, please, Lady Casalban said. Never! You are weak and decrepit, just as your people are weak and decrepit. You will never win against Zerugian might. Lady Casalban sighed. What can you do? she said, like a teacher talking about an unruly child. This is your fault, you fool, she added. She was speaking to Orlo, turning, bringing up her small, ancient hand, and stabbing the long icicle of glass she had scooped up from the floor into the back of Orlo's claw. The general's hand spasmed and he let go of Lady Casalban as he cried out in surprise and pain. He wrenched out the glass and reached for her again. He never reached her. A glass bullet hammered into his skull and General Orlo crashed to the floor, lying dead in the remains of his splintered army. Thank you, Stellman, Lady Casalban said calmly. Perhaps now they will send us someone who can negotiate the Zerugian position sensibly. She turned to the doctor. And thank you, she said. We owe you everything. The doctor nodded. I won't say it's been a pleasure, he said quietly. But his words were lost in the noise from the speakers all around as Bill's electronic tones exclaimed, And just who do you think they'll expect to clear all this up, Bot?
Chapter 17 Most of the glass had been swept up, despite the complaints from Bill and Bot. As the two robots grumbled on in the background, the Doctor and Martha stood in front of the mortal mirror. How come it didn't break? Martha asked. Because it is not made of real glass, Manfred Grieg told her. He looked like a cracked, chipped statue. It isn't a real mirror at all, the Doctor agreed. There's a whole world in there. But you know we're going to have to shut it off permanently. I know, Grieg said. You can rely on us to keep it closed, just as I have these past long years. At that moment, Defron came hurrying across the Great Hall. Oh, Doctor, and Martha, I'm so glad I caught you. Gonfer said you were preparing to leave. Our work here is done, the Doctor told him. But the GA will want to thank you. The General Secretary herself is coming. Tell you what, the Doctor said. We'll stay if we can, but no promises. Defron nodded enthusiastically. That is so good of you, Doctor. Will you put all this in your diary? Martha asked Grieg. He chuckled. My diary is finished. It has served its purpose. He took the glass book from a pocket of his cloak. So why did you write it all down anyway? Martha wondered. Why not just tell us what was going on? Grieg handed the diary to the doctor. I think you should have this. Thank you, the doctor said, taking the delicate glass book. Grieg turned to Martha. Who would listen to the ramblings of an old man? he asked. Tales of a world behind the mirror, of reptile creatures and galactic wars, of treaties and murders and politics and trickery. No. He shook his head, the light reflecting off the cracks in his cheek. But write them down. Make these things into a story, and perhaps, just perhaps, someone will want to know what happens. Must you go back inside the mirror? Martha asked. This is no longer my world, and it is still a trap. If I miss my footing, if I knock against a table or brush against the wall, I could fracture and die. He held up his hand, and it seemed to Martha that it was even more cracked and fragile than it had been the first time. I would not last long in your world, and the pain, every day the pain would increase until... He lowered his arm and turned away. Martha followed the old man's gaze and saw that Janna and Gonfer had come into the hall. With them was another girl. The image of Janna, but her face, even her clothes, were a webwork of lines and cracks. He's going to lose her again, or so he thinks, the doctor said as the three figures approached. You mean Janna, Martha asked, or is it Tilda? Well, that's the problem, isn't it? No one could tell them apart, the doctor sighed. She wound him up something rotten and he chased her into the garden. He thought he was chasing Tilda and it was really Janna. That's why she was so scared. He was chasing the wrong girl. The kitchen boy, Martha said. Gonfer. He worked in the kitchens then. He went after Tilda, but he found Janna and didn't realise. It was Janna who died out there in the garden. Gonfer can never forgive himself. That's why he looks after Tilda now. Though he did think it was Janna, till he realised the truth.
But why didn't she tell him? Because it was her fault too. She teased and taunted him and drove him to do it. She thought it was fun to upset him and her sister died for it. And now, the doctor said quietly, they're going to lose her all over again. Gonfer looked pale and tired. Janna, or rather Tilda, had a bruise on her forehead. Her cheeks were stained with tears. The glass girl walked slowly and carefully, watching where she put every tentative footstep. Please stay, Tilda said, almost in tears. Please, I can't lose you again. I am you. I'm not our sister, the glass girl said, and her own voice was cracked with emotion. And I can't stay. If I do... She turned away. Grieg took a step towards her. She is right. Our place is in the mirror. Look at her. So fragile, so delicate. To stay is certain pain and then death for her. But she'll be safe in the mirror world, Martha said. Everything has its own time and space, the doctor agreed. Hers is in there. And ours, well, ours is in a sort of box, actually. He pulled Gonfer into a hug. Come on, big fella, you'll be okay. Look after Tilda. I, I will. Gonfer's lips were tight as he pulled away. And you look after Gonfer, the doctor told Tilda, hugging her tight. She hugged him back. I will, she promised. He's my best friend. The doctor turned to Grieg. You'd best be going. Thanks for this. He held up the diary. Goodbye, doctor, Grieg said. And thank you. Thank you, the doctor countered. I won't shake your hand he said with a smile. All yours, he told the glass girl standing beside Grieg. You're so brave. Be strong. The girl nodded. Goodbye, she said quietly. To all of you, goodbye. Don't go, Tilda sobbed. You can't go. Please don't leave me. She ran forward. Careful, Martha warned as the two girls stood facing each other. Tilda had her arms open, her reflection stood silent and still. Then gently, so gently, Tilda closed her arms round the glass girl, barely touching her in the closest they could ever come to an embrace. Moments later, they stood looking at the mortal mirror. Tilda, Gonfer, the Doctor and Martha stared into the reflection of the Great Hall, a reflection that was not a reflection where an old man made of glass and a delicate, brittle girl stared out at them. The girl placed her hand against the glass and Tilda put her own hand over it. They stood without moving, without speaking, tears rolling down their cheeks. Then the mirror rippled and shimmered and Tilda was sobbing at her reflection. Her mirror image. Her twin. Chapter 18 a strange rasping, grating sound echoed through the corridors and passageways of Castle Extremis. On the other side of the castle, a banquet was just beginning. The two robots that were working in one of the conference rooms, close to the main courtyard, were repairing a wall. This stone's had it, bot, Bill said, jabbing at the wall with his metal arm. A spray of pale dust erupted from the metal point. 
The tall, slim man standing in the doorway watched with interest as the robots went about their task. You know, he announced as Bot lifted a crumbling stone out of the wall, you're very good at this. Had a lot of practice, Bot told him. Best in the business, Bill said. And who might you be? Bot asked. Not time and motion come to check up on us, Bill said. Not time and motion, no. Well, the man walked across to inspect the hole they had made in the wall. Not motion, anyway. Bot lifted the stone he had just cut and lined it up with the hole. Bill steadied the heavy load as Bot inched it forwards. The man cleared his throat. Problem? Bill asked. Something you'd like to say? Bot checked. No, no, it's looking good, the man said. Excellent, in fact. Brilliant. I was just wondering, though. Yes, Bot said. What? Bill asked. The man was holding something. Something he had taken from his pocket. It was rectangular and looked like it was made of translucent plastic or glass. I was wondering if I could pop this behind the stone. Why? Bill asked. What for? Bot wanted to know. Well, actually, it's to impress a friend of mine, a young lady, the man confided. Then I'll come back later and find it again, as if by magic. Behind our stone, Bill said. This stone we're about to put in, Bot added. That very one, the man agreed. How will you get it out again? Bot asked. This stone will be in place till it crumbles away and needs replacing again. And that won't be for a hundred years, give or take. So I'll need to come back in a hundred years, the man said. Afraid so, Bot told him. Near enough, Bill agreed. Right. OK, fair enough, the man beamed at them. I'll do that then. Bill and Bot looked at each other. Then they looked at the man, who was still grinning at them with satisfaction. Is that glass? Bill asked. Sort of, the man told them. It'll scratch. Bot told him. Wrap it in a bit of cloth, Bill suggested. There's some down there by the cutting tools. The man wrapped a piece of cloth round the glass box or whatever it was. Then he pushed it carefully to the back of the hole Bill and Bot had cut in the wall. He stepped back to allow them to fit the new piece of stone. When they'd finished, the hole was closed, hiding the small bundle of cloth. Thanks. No problem. Don't mention it. See you in a hundred years, the man paused in the doorway. Oh, and if you could make like you've never seen me before, that'd be a big help. With impressing the young lady, Bill said. Amongst other things, I'm cheating a bit by being here, really. Tell you what, he said, as a thought occurred to him. Don't sneak on me, and I'll put in a word for you with the Galactic Alliance. Yes, sir, Bill and Bot said together. But the man had gone. A hundred years later, give or take, a little girl slipped into a restless sleep. A looking glass hung on the wall opposite the bed. Reflected in it, another girl slept restlessly, mirroring the real girl. Both turned together, breathed together, and finally woke up together. Both girls pushed back their blankets and walked towards the mirror. Each raised a hand and pressed it to the glass just for a moment. I miss you, the little girl said. I know, her reflection answered. I miss you too.
You'll always be there, won't you? Always. I'm the girl in the mirror. The girls went back to their beds and were soon sleeping again. In the morning, perhaps, they would remember the brief waking in the night. Or perhaps, after all, it was just a dream. Martha in the Mirror was written by Justin Richards and was read by Freema Adjaman. It was produced by Kate Thomas and is published by BBC Audiobooks. Thank you.